Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 14th of October, year of our Lord, 2019. And the bunker keeps expanding. More insulation. More. Left wall is almost complete now. So we have a partial front, a right wall, a left wall, almost 100% now. And then we'll finish the rest. Today, uh, tomorrow is shipment day, and that's what we're using. If you didn't listen to the last podcast, we're getting uh, two-inch foam that comes with uh, my wife's fish orders, of all things. So, doesn't smell fishy in here, but it sure sounds better. So, uh, today we're going to cover uh, Trump rally, freaking out the media like crazy. The dim LGBTQ, E-I-E-I-O, craziness of a town hall. General hate, news and social media nuggets. But back in the day of this show, we used to do stats of the day. I actually had a soundbite and everything. Um, we're not doing that. No more soundbites. Um, although I do have a gay shit now. I did find it and wait till you hear it. It's really funny. It literally says gay shit. And it was done by a person of color. So go figure. Um, but we are going to do some stats. And up front... Uh, Maris Paul, how much do you trust the media? This sums up what I talk about every podcast for almost 400 podcasts now, or how many we've done. Overall, 29 trust, 69 don't. Voters, 32 trust, 66 don't. But then you get into conservatives. So I, a diehard Trump supporter, 4% trust in the media. Independents. 26% trust in the media. GOP, 8% trust in the media. But Democrats, 60% trust in the media. And if you break that down, it makes total sense. Of course the left trusts the media because everything's left-leaning. Um, we have some hard-hitting on Chuck Todd today, media hate, which we do every podcast, so I don't mention it, but it literally... It's just getting out of control with Chuck Todd over there and meet the press. I mean, he's lost his mind. And then you start breaking down what we talk about every time. Now, remember, in the 2012 cycle, Koch brother, Koch brother, Koch brother. 2016, less Koch brother. But in 2012, it was the Koch brothers are going to buy an election. George Soros-funded ACLU, $37,359,845 litigating SCOTUS case could redefine sex. Another Supreme Court LGBTQ agenda showdown is in the works, a crucial case dealing with the word whether the term sex and the Civil Rights Act of 64 can be expanded to include sexual orientation is being spearheaded by George Soros-funded civil liberties, American Civil Liberties, or ACLU. The defendant, Tom Harris of Harris Funeral Homes, has been sued by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for enforcing specific sex-specific dress codes in accordance with federal law. Alliance Defense Front, such a redefinition of sex as federal law describes it, should not be taken lightly. 
ADF argued. It continued, redefining sex violates the separation of powers put in place by our founding fathers under the Constitution. Unelected government officials cannot rewrite federal law. Only Congress has the power. If redefinition is allowed to happen, ADF attorneys posited that it would cause problems in employment law, reduce bodily privacy protection for everyone, and erode equal opportunity for women and girls among other consequences. Soros gave $37 million, that whole number I call, uh, called off, to the ACLU over the last nine years. In November, his Open Society gave $50 million grant just for this case. So they're trying to make it so that 0.07% of the country can get away with whatever the fuck they want to get away with. And then specifically to the read and the Democrats and the mainstream media's push that the right buys elections with the Koch brothers and the NRA comes two more stats. Tom Steyer contributed $21,063,557 to liberals, dwarfs the top eight conservative donor spending. The next one is some dude I never heard of, and he only had $10 million. But when you add up the top eight donors that are Republicans, and this is from Open Secrets, it's not from a conservative website, he is dwarfing them. Then to the NRA, which we've already proven, the max they may give is $10 million in an election cycle. Breaking, this is from The Hill. It's not a conservative paper. It's not conservative, even partially leaning. It is an open liberal rag that started out as a uh, magazine to cover the hill, our newspaper. Planned Parenthood announces $45 million campaign to defeat Trump and flip the Senate. Responses to this by conservatives. Some special interest, big money in politics is fine, you see, when it's Planned Parenthood. I don't really get into the abortion debate, but I will say, if you have $45 million to throw in an election, then don't you dare have the nerve to tell me you won't be able to provide care for poor women without federal funding. If you don't think these people should be stripped of their federal funding, you're nuts. They get $500 million from the federal government and blow 10% of it on electioneering. And that's what we say every, we say it over and over. That's what they do. Then, showing dim logic, Michael Hendricks. Nearly three years after Los Angeles voters approved a $1.2 billion in housing for the homeless, L.A. has yet to see a single building completed. Each apartment costs an average of 531373 to build, which exceeds the median price of a market-rate condo. Throw money at it. That's what you'll get if you elect a Democrat. Throw money at it. So we're going to give half a million dollar apartments to homeless people. That's their fix for the homeless problem. You know, maybe jobs. A tent city that's nice. I mean, something. But no. Half million dollar apartments. And then an interesting one from Phil Kirpin. Here are the impeachment votes we've already had before... The latest craziness, you know, that he talked to Ukraine. 
Impeachment House floor, floor vote recap. Impeachment number one, December 6, 2017. 58 Dems voted to advance impeachment for high crimes of dissing NFL anthem protests. Number two was January 19, 2018. 66 Dems voted to advance impeachment for the high crimes of saying shit old countries. And impeachment number three, July 27, 2019, 95 Dems voted to advance impeachment for high crimes of insulting the squad. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> yeah. Then to a Reuters, I think it's Reuters, Pew Research, partisan antipathy, more intense, more personal. Majority of Republicans say Democrats are more unpatriotic than other Americans. Three, of course, this is the Pew. They're going to put it as a liberal headline. Three years ago, Pew Research Fund Center found that two, 2016 presidential campaign was unfolding against a backdrop of intense partisan division and animosity. Today, the level of division and animosity include negative sentiments among partisans towards the members of the opposing party has only deepened. Growing shares in both parties give cold rating to those in opposing party. So here it is among Democrats. 79% hate Republicans. Among Republicans, 83%. The share of Republicans who give Democrats a cold rating on 0 to 100 thermometer has risen 14% since 2016. Why wouldn't it? Now, what's not written into this, because they're not going to write it, is now you can't wear a red hat. You can't go places. You're getting verbally attacked, physically assaulted when you go to restaurants. Not just politicians. Normal people. And the opposing party, including their fucking base, are telling you you can't believe in God. You gotta make your kids transgender when they're three. You have live birth abortions and they're trying to take their guns. So why would they not increase compared to... Democrats who, we're not attacking Democrats. We don't go to their parties and their protests and, and fucking burn shit. But that's how this one went. Um, it showed that it's increased. The survey by Pew was conducted 3 to 15 September among 9,835 adults. Uh, adults. It was completed before the House Speaker announced impeachment number four. It finds that both Republicans and Democrats expressed negative views about several traits and characteristics of those in the opposing party. In some cases, these opinions have grown from negative since 2016. For example, 55% of Republicans say Democrats are more immoral when compared with Americans. 47% of Democrats say the same about Republicans. Three years ago, 47% of Republicans and 35% of Democrats said the same thing. So here are some of those things. Close-minded. Uh... Okay, most partisans view the other side as closed-minded. Republicans see Democrats as unpatriotic. Closed-minded, uh, 64% Republicans, 75% Democrat. Unpatriotic, 63% of Republicans. I'm one of them. Immoral, 55. Lazy, 46. Unintelligent, 36. For the Democrats, 75% say closed-minded, 47% immoral, 38% unintelligent, because, you know, we get that from Chuck Todd. Unpatriotic, 23, and lazy, 20. Um, so, uh, let's be honest. Things are not good in the country. It's exasperated by the media. But once again, as we say every podcast, the division is not coming from conservatives. Conservatives are not doing shit to Democrats. We're not chasing people out. We're not fucking harassing them. We're not doing protests and burning down their property. 
This is the left. To 2016 stuff. Sean Davis. With exception of Ben Sass, every GOP senator who was on the Judiciary Committee during the Kavanaugh hearing signed this letter to DOJ demanding to know the status of criminal referrals for false statements for Kavanaugh. In the process of evaluating claims against then-nominee committee, investigators collected 25 written statements and spoke with 45 individuals. Those investigations culminated in the nominee's confirmation of the release of a 414-page committee report concluding that there was no credible evidence. Last year... Grassley referred to the Department of Justice for individuals for investigation, and we know nothing about it. Nothing. Because nothing's happened. Another one for Sean Davis. Well, 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 it looks like James Comey's spokesman at the FBI accepted monetary gifts from CNN reporter and then repeatedly lied about it under oath from the Daily Caller. The FBI top press officer during the Hillary Clinton and Trump Russia investigation accepted tickets to the Washington National Games from CNN correspondents and lied about it repeatedly during interviews with the Justice Department Inspector General, according to a report. Michael Corton, who served as Assistant Director of Public Affairs, displayed a lack of candor during multiple interviews under oath with DOJ and Watchdog about how he obtained the tickets who he went with, and whether he reimbursed CNS journalists, according to the report. There's a second one that an NBC reporter did the same thing. Huge articles. Media is ignoring it. There was some quid pro quo. I mean, we learned two podcasts ago that the New York Times, Isakov, is in Ukraine with other reporters working with that foreign government and Democratic Party officials to get dirt on Trump, but we're impeaching right now because of a phone call that nobody actually really heard. Okay. Chuck Ross brings us our next one. Andrew McCabe said at a recent event that Christopher Steele told the FBI he could not vouch for the material in the dossier, but they got a warrant anyway. Same event. FBI had a oh shit moment when they discovered Hillary Clinton emails on Anthony Weiner laptop. And then they promptly said there was no there there. Hmm. Then to the whistleblowers, because I'm not hitting a lot on this, because it's the same old, same old. What's to talk about? We're acting like it's the end of days. Trump literally did high crimes and misdemeanor. But then the truth starts coming out. The media won't report it, as you'll see in a bit. Whistleblower linked to 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. ABC and CBS spiked it. Washington Examiner's Brian York broke the news that the whistleblower that sparked the Trump-Ukraine impeachment push had a significant tie to one of the Democratic presidential candidates. Total broadcast news coverage of this stunning revelation, a mere 38 seconds on Wednesday during the NBC Today show. So far, ABC and CBS have spiked the story, even with President Donald Trump tweeting about it on Tuesday. Wow, just breaking, the big deal whistleblower and pro-professional tie to the 2020 Democratic candidate, Washington Examiner Byron York, in other words, was working with someone who was potentially running against him. Why wasn't this reported by the ICIG? A witch hunt, a scam. On October 8th, the Byron York article said that there is a word, more evidence of possible bias on the whistleblower's part under questioning for Republicans during last Friday's impeachment inquiry, which is behind closed doors, by the way. Interview with Intelligent Community Inspector General Michael Atkinson. The Inspector General revealed that the whistleblower's possible bias was not that he was simply a registered Democrat. It was that he had significant ties to one of the Democratic presidential candidates, currying vying for challenge Trump. The IG said the whistleblower worked and had some type of professional relationship. The following is a transcript of the only message so far in the New York of the York report. NBC was it 
everybody else hides it. Dishonest CNN hides analyst history of Democratic activists. On the face of it, Michael Gerhardt is qualified to serve as a CNN legal analyst on constitutional questions. He's the one that's bringing out to talk about all this. He is, after all, a distinguished professor of constitutional law at the UNC School of Law in Chapel Hill and scholar in residence at the National Constitution Center. But there was one part of Gerhardt's resume that CNN hid when New Day's John Bremer on Wednesday brought him on to comment on President Trump's decision not to cooperate with the House impeachment. Per Wikipedia, his two clerks were for judge appointed by Democrats. He served as deputy media director of Al Gore's Senate campaign. He drafted the judicial selection policy for Clinton. He counseled the Clinton White House, Associate Justice Breyer's confirmation hearing. He acted as special counselor for Senator Patrick Leahy regarding the nomination of Kagan and Sotomayor. Why did I put those together? This is how we work it. If you're a Republican, if you ever worked on Fox, it must be disclosed before you open your yak hole. If you're a Democrat, for judges, whistleblowers, that means nothing. And then by the end of the week, we find out his link is to Joe Biden, the 2020 Democratic candidate with whom CIA whistleblower had a professional tie as Joe Biden, according to intelligent officers and former White House officials. This was all behind closed doors, not released to the public, and surprisingly, oh wait a minute, not surprisingly, our media did not cover it. Our last part on this, Cheryl Atkinson. Seems to me, factually, that while some D's accuse Trump of turning to foreigners to investigate a rival for political purposes, they are turning to foreigners to investigate a rival for political purposes also. And some D's already were proven to have done that in 2016. Yet we're doing an impeachment. So we'll go away with Republican talking about why, if this is so important to democracy, as we get into the media hate, is it behind closed doors? And we're going to go straight into sound bites from Trump's rally, some protesters, some of the stuff he said, and then we'll hear the media clutch their pearls because during a political rally, he attacked Democrats. Oh, you can't have that. It's interesting. Wall Street Journal uh, had an editorial yesterday that was talking about how this is sort of an impeachment being run in secret and that the Democrats are losing credibility fast. What say you this morning? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, what we're seeing from this uh, majority is that they spent nine months, and I saw it up front and personal in the Judiciary Committee, how they ham-handedly waited for Mueller, waited for investigations, and nothing came. And so what they've decided is we can't find anything to get this president on, and the, the economy's great, everything's doing well. So let's go to something that we can now take to Intelligence Committee. And, and Speaker Pelosi mm-hmm. has said, we're not going to do this the way we've always done an impeachment inquiry. We're not going to have the, the hearings that we had in the uh, procedures that we had for Clinton or for Nick. We're going to do this in behind closed doors, away from the view of the American people, which is un-American. It's not what we are about. It's not due process. And so that's the way they only feel like they can move it. But I think in the end, the result, it's going to backfire on them because the American people are not going to stand a partisan witch hunt is what they're seeing right now. Earlier, Peter struck. Remember, he and his lover, Lisa Page. What a group. She's going to win. Ten million to one, she's going to win. I'm telling you, Peter. I'm telling you, Peter, she's going to win. Peter, oh, I love you so much. (laughs) 
I love you, Peter. I love you too, Lisa. Lisa, I love you. Lisa. Lisa. Oh, God, I love you, Lisa. And if she doesn't win, Lisa, we've got an insurance policy, Lisa. We'll get that son of a bitch out. We got an insurance policy. And we're living through this. the smell of MAGA hats in the evening. Supporters, and then they let it fire and all together. Pretty crazy. Understand during this rally, anti-Trump protesters in Minnesota stole about 40 hats off heads of Trump supporters and then lit them on fire with a big sign, Fuck Trump. Right on top of the pile of the ashes. 
This is tolerance. This is the left, people said. This is a major, major American city telling its law-abiding, tax-paying citizens they are not free to walk the streets when they choose to without having to confront anarchy. It's a quick soundbite because there wasn't a lot of filming there, people literally being attacked and having to run. Don't get me started on the Somali immigrant crime they ignore. I'm guessing these hats were stolen off the weakest citizens, the very young and old. I doubt they tried this on a former Marine or Special Ops people who would have punched them back to their mommy's house. But there was no reporting on, once again, the violence outside a Trump rally. Go back to 2016 in San Jose, a woman in a shirt, a jersey getting egged. The media played it as if it was okay. Then Chicago, trying to do the filming so that it looked like it was Trump supporters starting it, and it was Trump's fault for saying, punch that guy in the face once, and then not saying it again. It was okay. But every time we turn around, the actual violence is instigated by liberals. Yet in this soundbite, you do not hear the media speak of it. President Trump, when he was candidate Trump at the Republican (laughs) National Convention, made a statement during his acceptance speech, which was historic. The first Republican nominee to say something like this. I want to play it for you. Sure. As your president, I will do everything in my power to protect our LGBTQ citizens from the violence and oppression of a hateful foreign ideology. Believe me. To what extent has he lived up to that promise? Donald Trump has done the exact opposite. Donald Trump has attacked the LGBTQ community for the past two and a half to to three years. He has systematically sought to roll back protections that this community has been relying on for years. There are so many examples. He is now banning transgender uh, Americans from serving in the U.S. military. He is looking to enshrine discrimination into our regulations by essentially saying, if you are a federal contractor, you are allowed to discriminate against an LGBTQ person. He is looking to remove protections under the Affordable Care Act for transgender Americans. There are There's a laundry list of actions that the... Trump administration has taken, including filing a brief in the U.S. Supreme Court in the case that we just talked about, where the Trump administration is saying LGBTQ people are not protected under federal civil rights laws. Now, his promise on the campaign trail is directly opposite from what he's actually done in office. All right, Alfonso David, thank you for being with us this morning. It is still legal in the United States to fire someone for being gay. This is 28 states in America still allow this. Are we sure this is 2019? John Avalon takes a look in our reality check. John? Hey, guys. Look, America can seem hopelessly divided these days, but we are still capable of bridging deep cultural divides and making progress, however fitfully and imperfectly. Because we've got to recognize that America has seen a sea change in attitudes around gay rights over the last 25 years. Take a look at this. In 1996, only a quarter of Americans supported gay marriage. Now that number has grown to nearly two-thirds. That's a civil rights revolution in our own time, changing people's hearts and minds by appealing to core American ideals of freedom and equality, all leading up to the 2015 Supreme Court decision legalizing gay marriage, an opinion written by Republican appointee Anthony Kennedy. 
To be clear, the work is not done and the gains are not equally distributed. For example, only 44% of Republicans support same-sex marriage, compared to 68% of independents and 79% of Democrats. Of course, there are still some folks who've got a problem with Mayor Pete, and there are still efforts in states to restrict gay rights. There's a rise in hate crimes against the transgender community. And this year, against the recommendation of top military leaders, the Trump administration rolled back the right of transgender Americans to serve in the military. And just this week, the Supreme Court heard a case that could determine whether LGBT citizens will be protected by federal civil rights laws when faced with workplace discrimination. Because there are still 28 states where people can be fired simply for being gay. And the Trump administration is in court arguing it should stay that way. We still have a lot to work to do in a world where there are still 70 countries that criminalize same-sex relations. But America is the land of the free because we're the home of the brave. And our gains on gay rights are a welcome sign that we don't have to be hopelessly divided in the United States of America. And that's your reality check. And a disturbing rise in hate crimes against the transgender community. At least 18 transgender people have been murdered so far this year in the U.S., mostly minorities, mostly in Texas. The attacks unfolding in the shadow of the Supreme Court arguments that could have a lasting impact on gender identity rights. The attack against Calderon along this street is just the latest in a string of attacks and killings of transgender people here in Dallas. One of the most brutal attacks was caught on camera. Blow after blow, the cell phone video reveals the brute force Malaysia Booker endured after being involved in a fender bender in Dallas. She survived this brutality. A month later, though, her mother was mourning her death from another attack. Police made two arrests, one for the beating, another for the killing. The human rights campaign says the number of transgender attacks in recent years is alarming. Booker was the 18th person identified as transgender to be killed in the U.S. this year. The majority of victims are black. Texas leads the nation in trans murders. The transgender community in Dallas is being attacked. Stacey Monroe became an activist because of her own struggles as a trans woman. She lives in greater fear now than ever. Am I going to wake up to another killing, um, another attack? What's next? Monroe says the dangers for trans people have a lot to do with laws. She says she lost a job because she was trans. In Texas, that's legal. Trans lives matter! The Supreme Court is currently taking up a case to decide whether gender identity is protected under the Civil Rights Act. Monroe says when she heard what happened to Calderon, she rushed to be by her side. But as they bonded, they learned the man suspected of shooting her was free after post. Tonight, President Trump will rally voters in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with an eye on turning Minnesota red in 2020. But there's one figure taking on the president directly ahead of his visit. The city's mayor, Democratic Mayor Jacob Fry, says the rally will leave Minneapolis on the hook for an estimated half million dollars in security costs. The president heard about it and in a Twitter thread blasted the mayor for, quote, stifling free speech. Wouldn't be the first time the Trump campaign didn't pay its bill for a rally, though. A report from the nonpartisan Center for Public Integrity with NBC News found that as of June, 10 city governments complained that the president's political committee stiffed them out of more than $800,000 in total security costs. I think we have a map there. No? Well, yes, we have a great graphic showing that, demonstrating that for you. But um, there it is right there. All right. 
uh, President Trump, his campaign committee's unpaid security bills, showing a number of the states there, a number of the cities, and the total amount. I'm joined now by the mayor of Minneapolis. His name is Jacob Fry. Mayor Fry, thanks so much for your time, though, sir. Thanks so much for having me, Craig. As you know, President Trump called you a radical left mayor. He said you're stifling free speech. Uh, what, what's been your chief concern with the president's visit? Uh, well, first off, Minneapolis is a welcoming place. We also stand by people's First Amendment rights. And we know uh, what the president has said at some of these past rallies. It is, it is divisive. It is hateful. And that kind of speech really has no place in Minneapolis. But, you know, the president can say what he wants, but I, as mayor of the city, can also say what I want. And what we're saying is that we stand up for our diverse communities. And, in fact, we view that as a form of our strength. I want to go back to that report I just mentioned a moment ago about the unpaid security bills by the Trump campaign. The Center for Public Integrity with NBC News found that, again, as of, as of June, 10 city governments still have not been paid for more than $840,000 in security costs. Some of the invoices are three years old. Uh, with the rally there happening in a matter of hours, who's going to pay for, for what you estimate to be $500,000 in costs for tonight's rally? Who's picking up the tab? Well, you're right. We've seen this same narrative repeat itself over and over again with several different cities. And cities are already stretched extremely thin. And so to force us to pay all of the associated costs when President Trump comes to town for a campaign rally, I think just plainly it is it is unfair. Uh, and so I believe that the president of the United States should pay his bills, even if he really doesn't like paying his bills. Uh, that's just the, the right... Here's my question, Mayor. If, if you're dealing with a guy, in this case the president, who has a reputation for not paying his bill, then why extend credit? Why, why would the city not just say, you know what, we know that you don't pay your bills, we're not going to front the 500, 500K? Well, we didn't extend credit. Uh, the, you know, the Trump coming to town, I only found out about a week ago. Uh, and what we're making clear is that regardless, we need to ensure public safety. I mean, that is my number one priority, especially today. Whether you're attending in support or protesting in opposition, we need to ensure public safety regardless. Now, we have a broker uh, for the Target Center, which is AEG. AEG then has a contract directly with the Trump campaign, and we've made it very clear to AEG that we expect that those associated costs are going to get paid. Um, we reached out directly to the Trump campaign to see if they paid the security costs that we mentioned in that report. We should uh, point out that we have not heard back. Politico did talk to the campaign about the unpaid bills, and the campaign COO said this. It is the Secret Service, not the campaign, which coordinates with local law enforcement. The campaign itself does not contract with local governments for police involvement. All billing inquiries uh, should always go to the Secret Service. The Secret Service replied... Well, let's talk about that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, let's, let's, let, let's talk about that. You know, uh, President Trump is not coming here on behalf of the United States government or the, pr the office of the President of the United States. He's coming here for a campaign rally. Uh, and when you're coming here from uh, for a, a campaign rally, you know, yeah, absolutely, we expect those expenses to to be paid. Um, I, I think that goes without question. And when you when you talk about the expenses, they're not exorbitant, they're not unreasonable. We had the NCAA Final Four here, and that was 1.5 million dollars of associated costs. We had the Super Bowl here, and that was six million dollars. What we're talking about is 530 thousand dollars. By the way, 400 thousand of which goes to supporting the pay 
pay of overtime for our police officers. You know, President Trump oftentimes will talk about our police officers, but clearly he doesn't want to pay the bill to get them paid. Mayor Jacob Fry. Uh, mayor of, of Minneapolis, Mayor, I was just in your city a couple weeks ago. It's a delightful place. Uh, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, sir. That- I mean, this got them so pearl-clutchy. Meet the press. Watch. The president held a campaign rally last night and attacked Hunter Biden. We cannot, in good conscience, show it to you, Chuck Todd. Politics ain't beanbag, but it isn't supposed to be this either. We all need to play a role in not rewarding this kind of politics. Jim Dunleavy says, coincidentally, Trump also attacked Todd during the Hunter Biden rant that NBC and Chuck Todd cannot in good conscience show us. It's cute when left-wing network that protected and ran interference from Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer pretends to have moral conscience. But what did he say so bad to make Chuck Todd clutch his pearls. The president delivers vicious attacks on his Democratic rivals overnight at his first rally since the start of the impeachment inquiry. It was quite a performance last night. The president spoke about this impeachment inquiry in almost apocalyptic terms, saying that Democrats and the radical left were trying to destroy American democracy. And he he looked out at his supporters and said that what they were trying to do was, quote, erase your vote like it never existed. And you played just one clip from the way he went after Joe Biden, but he went on and on in deeply personal uh, ways, uh, talking about Biden and his son Hunter, using the kind of language that most people would not let their children use. And regarding the Democratic leaders, he, he spoke about Nancy Pelosi saying, quote, she's either really stupid or she has really lost it. At his first rally since the impeachment inquiry began, President Trump angrily railed against Democrats. These people are sick, I'm telling you, they're sick. And escalated his rhetoric against former Vice President Joe Biden. He was only a good vice president because he understood how to kiss Barack Obama's ass. Biden, who alongside many of his Democratic colleagues participated in an LGBTQ town hall last evening, pushed back in a tweet. He writes, I spent my night at the Human Rights Campaign Forum talking about the fundamental respect every human being deserves. You spent yours showing how little respect for anyone else you have. America is so much stronger than your weakness, Donald Trump. Welcome back tonight in 2020 Vision. President Trump held a campaign rally in Minnesota last night. There are parts of it we can't show you, or rather, there are parts of it we're not going to show you. The president's red meat vitriol wasn't new, neither was his use of profanity or his railing against the media or his attacks on Congresswoman Ilan Omar or his anger at the, quote, insane impeachment witch hunt. None of that should go unremarked on because the idea that the president of the United States is doing all of those things on a regular basis is actually quite remarkable. We're just not shocked anymore. And the fact that we now expect the president to act that way when he's in front of a crowd of his supporters, that's also remarkable, not unremarkable. But what is even more remarkable about what happened at last night's Trump rally is that the president went further than he's ever gone before. So we're going to further, we are going further than we've ever gone before to say we aren't going to play the sound. We aren't going to repeat the president's vicious attacks on Hunter Biden. The president of the United States stood in front of a crowd of supporters and character assassinated a man. Whatever you might think of his decisions, he's not a public figure, he isn't running for office, and he's not a campaign surrogate. He's not even on the campaign trail. And he isn't in any way asking for this attention, obviously. Look, we are going to tell you that the president's attack on Hunter Biden is remarkable. 
and it's newsworthy. But we can't in good conscience amplify those attacks, so we won't. We will simply tell you that it happened, and it seemed to cross a line, another line. Politics ain't beanbag, but it isn't supposed to be this either. We all need to play a role in not rewarding this kind of politics, not just the press. This is the job of anyone who has sworn an oath to defend the Constitution. We'll be right back. Since 2016, Trump supporters, not not Trump, have been called terrorists, Nazis, racists, sexists, deplorables. We've had Democratic politicians during campaign rallies talk for the arresting of everybody, impeaching the motherfucker, and heinous shit. But Chuck Todd thinks attacking a political opponent is beyond the pale. As we go to a music break, the same day Chuck Todd and the media was gnashing teeth, this is a Democratic operative on TV saying they need to arm themselves and arrest people. Somebody tweeted it. It's weird how the people who constantly call Trump a totalitarian are the ones talking about locking people up for not bowing to their will. Take the vote, go on record and confirm an official inquiry, and the White House will play play ball. As of now, it's just a lopsided investigation supported by the Speaker of the House. Democrats going full Soviets. As if the illicit spying on political enemies didn't give us that away already. How many times on TV have you heard that regular citizens are horrible? We need to arrest people for not doing what they want. Chuck Todd had no problem with Democratic politicians saying that normal citizens need to be run out of businesses. They should not have a place in a civil society. Because they wore a hat that said the inverse of hope and change. That's all it is. It's a political hat. Hope and change. All these slogans. Yes, we can. This is our media, folks. They are four totalitarian democratic Heinous things, Democrats say. Majority done by our media. But when you attack a political operative who is digging dirt on a sitting president, that is beyond the pale. That's interesting because Nancy Pelosi is not, uh, you know, pointing to that at all. She says, if I want to hold a vote, I will. If I don't, I don't. You not only think Congress should, you think it's coming within a week. What tells you that? Well, the letter from the White House. Absolutely. They want to fight? Okay, then let's, let us arm ourselves completely and totally with the full power of Congress. The votes, I'm sure, are there for an impeachment inquiry structured in such a way that we have the full opportunity to get all the information, call in the witnesses, get the details, get the email, and all the rest. Uh, with regard to inherent uh, contempt, uh, I've been for that all along. I think that uh, when... Uh, the uh, witnesses come and they sim- simply refuse to answer questions. I think it's time to call in the sergeant in arms, march them off to our little jail, which we do happen to have in one of the rooms of the uh, of the Capitol, and let them sit there and cool so, off for a while. So you'd put Ambassador Sondland, Bill Barr, Don McGahn in jail? 
I would use the full power, and among that is this question of inherent uh, rights of the Congress to hold people. I think we ought to be prepared to go all out on this. We cannot, this is a fundamental question of the Constitution and the separation of powers. And there's a dozen other issues in which this president has assumed uh, powers of Congress, specifically money out of uh, NATO and taking them more than a tr uh, hundred and to $1.6 billion out of NATO to build his border wall, completely ignoring the appropriation power of Congress, the power of the purse. There are numerous things that but we need to do to push back. And but you're, right talking now about, you're talking about dif different issues here. I'm specifically focusing on...
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. And next, Secretary Castro, I want to bring in Shay Diamond, a singer-songwriter from Los Angeles. She currently supports Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Shay, what's your question? Um, it's Shea Diamond. Shea Diamond. Put that on the record. Okay. <laughs> it's on the record. Thank you. Yes, honey. It's violence to, to misgender or to alter a name of a trans person. So let's always get that right first. Good to see you, Senator. Thank you for joining us. How are Appreciate you? It. How are you? Hello. Thank you, guys. Am I, or she, her, and hers? She, her, and hers? Mine, too. Do you think religious institutions uh, like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes. something black trans women are being killed in this country and cnn you have erased black trans women for the last time let me tell you something black trans women are dying our lives matter i'm a extraordinary black trans woman and i deserve to be here my black trans sisters that are here i am tired i am so tired i'm just sitting there and it's not just my black trans women it's my black trans brothers too and i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say I'm no, 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 you come here. No, no, I just want to ask you something. Come I'm, here. I'm Tell me. Come here. I want you to talk. What's your name? I'm Blossom C. Brown. Blossom, let me ask Google you. Google me. Blossom. Please. Google Blossom, thank you. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me, no, don't come on the stage. Don't okay, come on the stage. Okay. Can, may I have the mic? Okay. May I have the mic? Blossom, let me okay. tell you something. The reason that we're here is to validate people like you. That is why we're giving, but that is why we're here. Okay. But I... Yeah, yeah. Hang on, we can't hear you. Blossom, we hear. Blossom, we can't hear you. Baby, your actions have to speak louder than words because guess what? Not one black trans woman has taken the mic tonight. You're- Not one black trans man. Now, let's say you're on the campaign trail and you're I approached. Have you have. Been, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. and, a, and a supporter approaches you and says, Senator, I'm old fashioned and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman. What is your response? Well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that. And I'm going to say, then just marry one woman. I'm cool with that. Assuming you can find one. Let me ask you a follow-up on that. A um, follow-up. The, Joy Kill. All right. <laughs> What's your follow-up, That's Chris? the job. That's okay. the job. Yeah, okay. Um, you grew up conservative in a conservative household. Uh-huh. You were Republican by party for many years. Yeah. Was there ever a time that you felt differently about this issue in particular, about same-sex marriage? No, I don't think 
stuff. I actually don't remember it. I mean, it may have been the case. I don't, you know, I don't have notes from when I was a little kid. But, but I don't. And that's part of it. I mean, to me, it's about what I learned in the church I grew up in. First song I ever remember singing is, They are yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. And to me... Can you sing it again? You bet. (laughs) Uh, You want to harmonize with me on this? (laughs) But, But to me, that is the heart of it. That was the basis of the faith that I grew up in. And it truly is about the preciousness of each and every life. It is about the worth of every human being. And that I saw this as a matter of faith and saw there were a lot of different people who do a lot of different things, um, who look different from each other, who sound different from each other, who form different kind of families. And I, I know that back in Oklahoma in those days, there weren't many people who were out. But, but the way I grew up, it was just gradual. It was the two ladies who lived together. And it was just a part of what we understood in the area that I grew up. And the hatefulness, frankly, always really shocked me, especially for people of faith. Because I think the whole foundation is the worth of every single human being. And I get people may make decisions for themselves that are different than the decisions other people make. But by golly, those are decisions about you. They are not decisions that tell other people what they can and cannot do. Member of the Human Rights Campaign, Parents for Trans Equality Council, Lizette and Daniel. Go ahead. Hi. I just want to take a moment before I ask my question to validate the pain of our transgender siblings that demonstrated earlier and that have spoken up today, especially black trans women. Let me tell you something. Black trans women are being killed in this country. And CNN, you have erased black trans women for the last time. Let me tell you something. Black trans women are dying. Our lives matter. I am an extraordinary black trans woman. And I deserve to be here. My black trans sisters that are here. I am tired. I am so tired. I'm just saying that. And it's not just my black trans women. It's my black trans brothers too. And I'm going to say what I'm going to say. No, 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 come here. No, no, I just want to ask you something. Come here. Tell me. Come here. I want you to talk. What's your name? I'm Blossom C. Brown. Blossom, let me ask you. Google me. Blossom. Please Google me. Blossom, thank you. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me, no, don't come on the stage. Don't come on the stage. May I have the mic? Okay. May I have the mic? Blossom, let me tell you something. The reason that we're here is to validate people like you. That is why we're giving, but that is why we're here. Okay. But I... Yeah, yeah. Hang on, we can't hear you. Blossom, we can't hear you. Here, Blossom, we can't hear you. Baby, your actions have to speak louder than words because guess what? Not one black trans woman has taken the mic tonight. You're... Not one black trans man has taken the, bla- uh, the mic tonight. Yeah. Show me. You, Blossom, Show me. Blossom. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Blossom, you're a black trans woman. You have the mic in your hand. I've given, I've taken and given it back to you. We want to hear from you. We have had trans people of color. We've had all people here. And you're welcome. 
but we but we are proud and happy that you're here. We're proud and happy that you're here. Yes, but remember, we, we're on our time constraint. All right. Thank you, Blossom, and I appreciate it. Yeah, that's how anti-blackness works amongst people of color. That's what anti-blackness looks like. The erasure of black trans people. All right. I'm here. We're here in this room. Please give us that opportunity. Blossom, thank you so much. And we appreciate thank you. it. Thank you very much. Yes, I got it. There you go. Yes. Congressman, please address that. You want to address I'll, that? I'll be happy to. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Blossom. Wall was led by transgender women of color, and it's 15 years later, and we're still failing you as a community. But there are mothers like me and other community members that are committed to change. And so thank you for allowing that. Thank you. And she is the mother of three children, including a nine-year-old transgender daughter. Rachel is a member of the Human Rights Campaign's Parents for Transgender Equality Council. Rachel. We know that the civil rights legislation did not end racism. And we know that the Equality Act will not end homophobia, transphobia, or bias. As a leader, what will you do to change hearts and minds across the country to have true equity, safety, and inclusion? And Senator, a follow-up on this. Do you think that religious education institutions should lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose LGBTQ rights? So would they lose their tax-exempt status? Our son Matthew was murdered in 1998. While we have since passed federal hate crime legislation, we know that more needs to be done. And this administration is fueling hatred amongst LGBTQ people, people of color, immigrants, and so many more. My name is Jacob, and I'm a nine-year-old transgender American. My question is... What will you do in your first week as president to make sure that kids like me feel safer in schools? And what do you think schools need to do better to make sure that I don't have to worry about anything but my homework? And my pronouns are she, her, and hers. She, her, and hers. Mine, too. All right. Do you think religious institutions uh, like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes. Evangelicals calling themselves Christians are claiming that being forced to do business with gay people infringes upon their religious freedom. But my husband Paco and I were married in a beautiful Lutheran church ceremony by a congregation that embraces our love for each other. Isn't our religious freedom being violated by those who wish to discriminate against us? I want to bring in Shay Diamond, a singer-songwriter from Los Angeles. She currently supports Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Shay, what's your question? Um, it's Shea Diamond. Shea Diamond. Put that on record. Okay. <laughs> it's on the record. Thank you. Yes, honey. It's violence to, to misgender or to alter a name of a trans person. So... So always get that right first. Um, how would you ensure that LGBT people are represented in the military command positions? Specifically, would you consider having an LGBT person as the undersecretary reporting to the Secretary of Defense? And how would you choose that person? 
And that, my friends, is your Democratic LGBTQEIEIO fucking town hall. It's violence to misgender or misname a tranny. That, that's what they're saying. Child abuse to harming churches. Here's the worst questions from CNN's LGBTQ town hall. Child abuse. Look at my elementary age trans child. Co-host Dana Bash. We're excited first to hear from Rachel Gonzalez, who's from Dallas, Texas, and she is the mother of three children, including a nine-year-old transgender daughter. Rachel is a member of the Human Rights Campaign Parents for Transgender Equality Council. Rachel. We know that civil rights legislation did not end racism. We know that Equality Act will not end homophobia transforming our bias. As a leader, what will you do to change hearts and minds across the country to have true equity, safety, and inclusion? Cory Booker. Oh, that was to Cory Booker. Sorry. Jacob LeMay. My name is Jacob. I'm a nine-year-old transgender American. My question is, cheers and applause. What will you do of your first week as president to make sure that kids like me feel safer in schools? And what do you think schools need to do better to work, make sure I don't have to worry about anything but my homework? You know, a nine-year-old clapping a nine-year-old. That's all it says. That was to Elizabeth Warren. Let's target churches. Anyone not surprised? Bash and Senator, a follow-up on this. Do you think that religious education institutions should lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose LGBTQ rights? So would they lose their tax-exempt status? That was to Cory Booker. That's from a reporter. I just did air quotes. Lose their tax-exempt. Fuck your beliefs, Christians. You go fuck yourself. The new church is gay. Andrew Boer, a Bowden to but Pete Buttleg. As you know, in 27 states, including my state of Florida, LGBTQ people can be denied service in restaurants and other public spaces based on who they love or what they perceive to love. Restaurant owners can deny service based on so-called religious liberty. As a Christian, can you point to teaching and faith that are that are shall not serve gay people meatloaf and dinner, laughter, or other religious verses which provide instruction to the faithful, deny service housing or other services to LGBTQ people? Let's go to the previous segment. You deny people with red hats service. The media supports you. The Democratic politician supports you. But when it's turnabout's fair play, it's, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have that. No, we can't have that. Don Lemon. This was to Beto O'Rourke. Do you think religious institutions like college, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status so they oppose same-sex marriage? Beto O'Rourke, yes. There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution, any organization in America that denies the full human rights and full civil rights to every single one of us. Second, quote, quote, journalist. John Schaefer to Amy Klobuchar. Evangelicals calling themselves Christians are claiming they've been forced to do business with gay people and fringe upon the religious freedom. But my husband, Paco, and I were married in a beautiful Lutheran church ceremony by a congregation that embraces our love for each other. Isn't our religious freedom being violated by those who wish to discriminate against us? A lot of fuck the church in this one. Unsure whether Betleg is an adequate member. Robbie Goldman. So as I know you're aware, queer people are not a monolith. We are diverse as our country. As the first openly gay presidential candidate, you have faced questions on whether you are an adequate representation of the queer community. I, too, have felt pressured at time to be the right kind of gay. As president, how would you 
be an advocate for queer community in the U.S. even without being everyone's preferred definition of gay. So I guess you're not gay enough? I mean, is there a level of gay? Anybody? Somebody tell me out there. Banning conversion therapy, discrimination are white LGBTQ issues. This was to Elizabeth Warren. June Crenshaw, your proposed outlawing conversion therapy, repealing a transmilitary ban, and strengthening federal non-discrimination laws. All of these are really important priorities, but a lot of them are geared towards white LGBTQ folks, whereas other issues surrounding non-white, black, and brown LGBTQ people like youth, homeless, and hate crimes heavily impact the black and brown community. So how will you pay attention to all the important priorities you've outlined in addition to homeless and hate crimes that we've proven on the show are not happening. Sweet God. Non-binary licenses and preferred pronoun. Chris Cuomo. Good to see you, Senator. Thank you for joining us. Senator Harris, how are you? Cuomo, appreciate it. Harris, how are you? Thank you, guys. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Cuomo, she, her, and hers? Mine, too. Harris, all right. And we'll see in a second. You got dick slept for that. Oscar Buckwald, I currently identify as non-binary in California. I'm able to change my gender to X. However, on the federal level, there's no such option. Will you recognize third gender markers on the federal level? To Amy Klobuchar. Then we have a trans woman snapping. We'll play it in a second. But here it goes. Nia Mika Henderson. If you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. And next, Secretary Castor, I want to bring in Shay Diamond, a singer-songwriter for Los Angeles. She currently supports Mayor, Mayor Buttleg. Shay, what's your question? Um, it's Shay Diamond. Shay Diamond? Put that on record. Okay, I'm on record. Thank you. Yes, honey, it's violence to misgender or to alter a name of a trans person. So always get that right first. You will, I, you will just do whatever I want you to do. See, that's the attitude. These people could be no more woker, but to this black dude who pretends he's a girl, man, they're not woke enough. Man asked if there should be LGBTQ under Secretary of Defense, Robert Tyndall. How would you ensure that LGTB, LGBT people are represented in military command positions? Specifically, would you consider having an LGBT person as the undersecretary reporting to the Secretary of Defense? And how would you choose that person? That was to Tom Steyer. Claiming mass gun control is crucial to LGBTQ issues. Brandon Wolf, on June 12, 2016, I was present as a man with an assault weapon murdered 49 mostly LGBTQ people of color at Pulse Nightclub. I'm not going to say that it was actually an Islamic guy and it was an attack by ISIS because that ruins our dialogue. I was very lucky to make it out. Unfortunately, my friends were not. The night were reminded that LGBTQ people, specifically those of color, are often too often the targets of hate violence. With the rise of violence against trans women of color, how will you ensure that law enforcement is equipped to treat marginalized victims of crime with dignity and respect? Chris Chipton King. My friends Drew and Juan were shot at Pulse. I'd like to know what you would do differently to break the impasse on gun control because I've had all the thoughts and prayers I can take. Fuck you, Christians! Once again. And then lastly, John Blevins. So this community has been traumatized by gun violence and mass shootings, just as many other communities have. However, this community has faced life-threatening dangers in the past. We've been successful in changing public attitudes faster than we expected because we've had extreme cross-culture and cross-societal makeup. Yet, we haven't seen a presidential candidate that leveraged our movement's strengths to bring about gun reform. Because it's all about intersectionality. Then Warren contemptuously dismisses men of faith. 
Speaking of Human Rights Campaign Foundation, the CNN's presidential town hall event Thursday night, Massachusetts Senator Bourne, who has been surging in the polls, looking more and more like an emerging frontrunner, insulted men of fate, implying that he would never find a woman who would marry them. Morgan Cox, chair of the Human Rights Campaign Board of Directors, asked Warren, let's say you're on a campaign trail and you're approached, Warren interrupted, I have been, Cox finished, you have been yes. As a supporter approaches you and says, Senator, I'm old-fashioned. My fate teaches me that marriage between one man and one woman. What's your response? First, Warren assumed that only a man of faith would believe in biblical values and that women of faith would not take biblical injunctions seriously. And she replied, well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that. And I'm going to say they just marry one woman. As the crowd laughed and applauded, Warren jibed. I'm cool with that. The crowd gave us a sustained ovation, prompting Warren, trying for one last singer to add bitingly, assuming you can find one. We want equality. We demand equality in the gay community, but we infringe on everybody else's rights and demean them for not being like us. Does that make any sense? I mean, you look back to the civil rights stuff like Martin Luther King. And I know as a white man, I'm not authorized to talk about it. But he was through peace. He didn't demean everybody. This new level of wokeness, it's like, fuck you, fuck your beliefs, fuck everything about you. You will bend to my will. But let's get to the gist. Poor ratings. Despite the fact that Zephyr Zucker led at CNN as a created cottage industry out of town halls involving presidential candidates or some of their liberal causes, CNN showed very little interest in recapping their four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour, excuse me, horrendously rated Thursday night LGBTQ town hall. Between midnight and 7.30 p.m., Eastern Friday, so 21 and a half hours total, CNN show spent just under 25 minutes, 24 minutes and 47 seconds on a towel hall that featured among a slew of other alienating takes an angry trans woman briefly hijacking the event, Beto O'Rourke saying he targeted churches who aren't pro-LGBTQ, and questions with elementary age trans children, as per usual, most newsbuster studies, this total excluded teases the tone was set from the moment the town hall ended, thanks to a special edition of CNN Tonight with fill-in host Erica Hill. CNN Tonight ignored it, instead moving in on the impeachment. And then they break down the whole day. Well, they basically just didn't do anything. Because nobody fucking watched it. But the best part was because they were so enraged and hateful towards people that don't believe like them, even their host fucked up. So here's the soundbite of Harris, and Christopher Cuomo had to do this. Please read. When Senator Harris said her pronouns were she, her, and hers, I said mine too. Should not have. I apologize. I'm an ally of the LGBT community, and I'm sorry because I'm committed to helping us achieve equality. Thank you for watching our town hall, but I'm not woke enough. And the second one is, once again, her talking to a child. And if you could see this child's face on the stump, he's like, get away from me, lady. But they, it's just another example of them trying to brainwash people. She, her, her. Mine, too. All right. All right, first. 
Then I want to play what I like to call child abuse. And we're going to end this segment on this and go into Steve Kerr. Because i got to play that bullshit. This is child abuse. This is a nine-year-old child. A, it goes back to Greta Thunberg. It's just a fucking political pop prop from using kids and their tweets. My child said, why is he president? And all this shit we've gone through. The left loves using children as props. But B, he's nine. And as we've shown on the show, 80% of these kids are going to go back to the regular sex. But most of them are going to go back to the regular sex unable to reproduce. Because their parents, who are moon bats, have sterilized them chemically. So here's child abuse into Steve Kerr. Sia and his mom, Mimi, who's a transgender youth and active with the human rights camp. Jacob is an elementary school student from Massachusetts. Likes to play hockey. Jacob. All right, Jake. Um, my name is Jim, nine-year-old transgender American. Uh-huh. Is- All right, Jake. your first week as president to make sure that kids are safer in schools. And what do you think school do better to make sure that I don't have to worry about anything, Mark? Oh, I like that question. More than I ask you. <laughs> Let me know what your reaction was, if any, to what the uh, guy in the White House said yesterday. Well, Roman and I were just talking about it, and we, 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 if we had been thinking earlier, I was going to ride in on a tricycle with uh, one of those beanies with the propeller on it, and just because he called me a little boy, so maybe just ride in and see if you guys got the joke, but uh, we didn't think of it earlier enough. It, it was really surprising, but... Um, Mainly just because it was me, you know, and then then you stop and you think, well, this is just every day. This is just another day. So I was the shiny object yesterday. There was another one today. There'll be a new one tomorrow, and the, the circus will go on. Um, so it's just uh, strange, but um, but it happened. Um, I did think about last night. I was thinking about my various um, visits to the White House of. of uh, lived a privileged, privileged life and uh, met, I think, the, fast, the past five presidents uh, prior to President Trump. The first one was in 1984, and Ronald Reagan was president, and uh, he invited my mom and me uh, six months after my dad was killed in a terrorist attack, and President Reagan and Vice President Bush invited us into the Oval Office and spent about half an hour with us, thanking us for our, my dad's uh, service. He was in education, thanking us for my dad's commitment to uh, trying to share American values in the Middle East, trying to um, promote peace in the Middle East. And I just all I could think of last night was the contrast of what has happened in 35 years. And, uh, you know, there was... Uh, 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 there was no 
there was no regard for you know whose side you were on politically, you know, political party, anything like that. It was just you were an American, and um, the, the office held such dignity and respect, um, both from the people who were visiting and uh, especially from the people who sat inside it. And um, it's just sad that it's come uh, crashing down and that we are now uh, living this. And I, and I realized the horse was out of the barn a long time ago on this, but for me personally, this was my experience with, wow, has, uh, has the office sunken low? And so my hope is that uh, we can find a, a mature unifier from either party to sit in that chair and try to uh, restore some dignity uh, to to the Oval Office again. And I think it'll happen. Anyone want to talk about pick and roll coverage tonight? Maybe not. Uh, where were you when you heard this happening? Did you see it live or oh. did someone tell you? And, and what is your what was your initial response uh, when you either saw it or when someone told you that this had happened? Yeah, I was, uh, we had, I just finished, ironically, I just finished media after practice and I was, uh, doing a, an interview for, for a project somebody was working on in the, in the building and, and then Raymond uh, texted me, and all of a sudden my phone started blowing up. So it was uh, it was surreal. It was you know very very strange. But as I said, it's uh, you know just he quickly moved on to his next uh, bullying victim today. I'm not sure who it was. I haven't had a chance to to look, but uh, it, the pattern will will continue. So, Steve, how have you found it difficult to balance the NBA's clear business interests in China with what's been going on there? With they're really trying to censor a colleague of yours, Jill Mori, really some stuff that could be called un-American in terms of trying to restrict his freedom of expression. It is a absolutely tricky um, situation for all of us to be in. Um, I've been to China, you know, twice in the last um, two years. Once with the Warriors, once with Team USA, and basketball is wildly popular over there. And so, from my perspective, um, the NBA is doing a lot of great things in terms of helping to unify uh, people in the world. The game itself is a unifier, and I think that's important. Um, and and all of a sudden, that is meeting these political forces and uh, um, uh, business forces, and we're sort of thrust in the middle of it. And frankly, we don't really know what to make of it. Um, and so we're 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 here. Um, we're being asked about it. I have done a lot of research uh, in the last few days. I'm, um, I've learned more about. Um, What's going on on both sides? One of the things I've learned is that um, this this story has many vantage points, um, depending on where you're looking from. And uh, so, for me to sit here and say I feel really comfortable making this statement, um, it's it's not my place. And uh, it's you know just like I wouldn't make any comments on um, the tariff war. Like I don't know anything about that, you know. So. What's going on in our country? Uh, I, I'm very comfortable talking about what's going on in our country. I'm a citizen of this country. Um, it's hard for me to make a comment about something that impacts so many people, different countries, different governments, and uh, 
not really feeling comfortable being in the midst of it, it's, I think it makes more sense to, to lay low and be a scared little boy. Uh, given that you're currently trying to learn more about it before you, your name was involved in the whole situation, but understanding that there could be ramifications for the league in here, I mean, what's the next steps? Are you still going to be trying to learn more and, and monitor the situation? Or? Uh, the, I think the next steps for us is, uh, you know, maybe learning from the league. Um, and we haven't really been told anything as far as um, we haven't been given any orders or, you know, don't talk. We haven't, uh, I think it's, it's more just, it's kind of out there. And uh, you know, obviously teams are over there, uh, players are over there, NBA personnel over there. And um, it's, it's all a very fluid situation. And again, I go back to the, the core value of uh, international basketball, uh, which I just experienced for six weeks in the summer with Team USA, which is um, growing the game and, and uh, con- connecting people and using the game as a uh, force for the greater good. I think those things are important. Those values are important. Obviously, there are tremendous financial uh, forces at play here, too. So um, how you reconcile all that, I don't know. Steve, you guys, both you and the players the last few years have been very outspoken on topics you feel passionately about. Will the backlash uh, that has been felt through this China situation and the president's comments, will that stop you at all from being outspoken about the same issues over time or, or give you pause about what you may say publicly? No, I, I think uh, generally my feeling is the, the things I'm going to comment on are things I feel very comfortable speaking about, things I feel well-versed about. Um, you know, I, I comment a lot about gun safety. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cause that is uh, very near uh, and dear to my heart and uh, very crucial for um, our future as a country. Uh, we face mass shootings um, literally every day. And uh, so I'm involved with four or five different gun safety groups. Um, uh, that's my, my pet cause. I'm going to comment on that. Um, that's my right, and that's why I love being an American. That's why I love my country. Um, you know, I'm able to channel my energy and, and my resources um, to uh, places where I want it to go. And uh, I feel really comfortable with that. Um, but there are places where I don't feel so comfortable, and uh, and this would be one of them. So I'll follow up uh, quickly on that. Do you understand why people might be upset, though? Because the organization has made it a point, and you made it a point, to stand up for what you believe in and speak out on it. And then on this issue, on uh, various other issues, guys don't want to take that kind of stand. Do you understand why people would sure. be frustrated sure. with that? Yeah, so the same people who are asking me to stick to sports are also asking me to expand my horizons. I guess that's what I'm, what I'm hearing. So, uh, again, I, I, I will speak on the things that I'm comfortable with, um, and I will, uh, uh, I will do uh, things that I believe are helpful uh, for my country. I love my country. 
um, despite what President Trump said yesterday. Um, I work really, really hard uh, on a lot of things off the floor, and one of those things is I don't want people to feel what my family felt um, when my father was killed. I know what it feels like to have a family member ended by a bullet. So that's a passionate, passionate subject for me. So I research it. I'm involved with various organizations, constantly meeting with people, uh, fundraising. Um, this is, this is part of my life. Um, so, uh, as far as North Korea, I don't know much about North Korea. You know, um, as far as the Ukraine situation, I don't really know that much about the Ukraine situation. So we could just go around the world if you want, and I'll, maybe I'll pinpoint a couple other ones that I feel comfortable about. But this whole thing is is so ridiculous. Um, I, you know, we're, again, we're, we're we're fortunate in this country to to have. Uh, Free speech, I exercise that, but part of having free speech is also selecting not to speak if you don't feel comfortable about something. Um, understanding that you don't want to comment on something outside the United States, are you probably supportive of NBA officials' ability to do so? I guess specifically, um, do you believe that Gerald Murray shouldn't be fired over something like this? Uh, I appreciate uh, the, the fact that you have to ask me that question. Um, I get it, and I would hope that you appreciate uh, my right to not not answer that question because all it does is uh, create uh, a headline and uh, a soundbite, and I choose not to be a soundbite tonight. Probably too late for that anyway. <laughs> but I choose not to be that soundbite. To continue our geopolitical discussion here, in all the years that you've gone to China and the teams have gone to China, has it ever come up that the NBA's business interests in China are at odds with a country whose human, right, human rights record is not, a, not in, in, in step with the United States? Um, it has not come up in terms of people asking me about it, uh, people discussing it. Um, no. Nor has uh, our record of um, human rights abuses come up either. You know, um, things that our country needs to look at and resolve, um, that hasn't come up either. So none of us are perfect, and we all have uh, different issues that we have to get to. And saying that is my right as an American doesn't mean that I hate my country. It means I want to address Things right, but people in China didn't ask me about uh, you know people owning AR-15s and mowing each other down in a mall. I wasn't asked that question, so we can play this game all we want and go all over the map. And you know, there's this issue and that issue, and um, the world is a complex place, and there's more gray than black and white. Um, I realize that. Uh, What's popular these days is to make it black and white, and you're either good or you're evil. And um, so that's convenient to do to do things that way, but not realistic. We're going to uh, ice the pick and roll on the side, and we may switch back out to towns. Steve, just one last thing. Do you have any comment on the Dodgers last night? <laughs> Wow, that sounded like a shot. <laughs> Tough day for me. The president goes at me and my Dodgers lose. Um, I will say this. Uh, if you happen to see the post-game uh, 
Dave Roberts and Clayton Kershaw class, pure class, to uh, lose and to address um, the fans and the media and accept um, responsibility and to answer every question. It's not easy, and that was uh, that was classy. And uh, but yeah, it's definitely. The NBA, of course, is doing all this because of money. They make all sorts of money. There's more viewership in the fucking China than there is in America for their sport. People don't tune into the playoffs. It's just the way it is. It's like baseball. There's just too many goddamn fucking games. But they just totally ignore China's history. And the best part about this and why I'm covering it, and a lot of other conservative talk shows have already covered it, they're so quick for social justice shit. They don't want to cover any of this. So his flip to it's America, America sucks is perfect. Kurt at one point noted that his feelings is that things that I'm going to comment on are things that I feel comfortable speaking about. Apparently Kurt is not comfortable in knowledge that communist China has a million people locked up in concentration camps, severely restricts people's freedoms in a racist ethos state that has murdered tens of millions of its own citizens. The Heritage Foundation reports, according to the authoritative Black Book of Communism, estimated 65 million Chinese died as a result of Mao's repeated merciless attempts to create a new socialist China. Anyone who got in their way was mowed down. We don't want to cover that. Needless to say, he got gutted. Steve Curran, has he ever asked about human rights during his previous trip to China? No, nor has America's record of human rights abuses come up either, was his reply. ABC covered it like it was great. David Heresy, what an immense idiot. The Chinese communist state has murdered tens of millions of people. It has concentration camps open right now. People who shoot ARs in American malls are criminals. That's it. Uh, Mark Hemingway, if you think gun violence in America is any way comparable to the atrocities the Chinese government has done and continues to do, wow, what's going on here? This is a national disgrace. Noah Smith, China's power is such that I can, it can force rich and famous Americans to resort to Twitter troll level whataboutism. Josh Jordan, and here's Steve Kerr comparing China's human rights abuses with individuals in the U.S. that commit gun violence. Others, Wow, good point. Isolated mass shooting perpetrated by madmen is basically the same thing as government-sponsored campaigns of mass extermination. If you think gun violence in America is any way comparable to the atrocities the Chinese government has done and continues to do, wow. Clay Travis, sports reporter, conservative-leading. Steve Kerr has no comment on NBA's China issue. He comments on every Trump tweet and can't support democracy in China. What a complete and total coward. Momo. This is right here. It tells you everything you know about which is a totalitarian state and which is a free society. Chris Tonto, that's because Steve Kerr is weak. He's got an opinion for every SJW cause under the sun, but totalitarian civil rights abuse regimes, he's mum on. Jeb Stewart's beard. The NBA will boycott North Carolina over toilets, but embrace a totalitarian regime like China while simultaneously claiming some sort of moral high ground. Hypocrisy at his finest. Kerr. Meanwhile, here's my 75,000 word dissertation on NC's bathroom bill. And that's totally true. To make matters worse, breaking. Portland Trailblazers announced that they have severed relationships with companies that does business with Israel following a pressure campaign by activists tied to the anti-Semitic boycott, divest, and sanction movement. 
As the NBA is facing outrage that the general manager of Houston Rockets capitulated to censorship by the Chinese Communist government, Trailblazers quietly severed tied with a manufacturer Leopold gun sites, which has contract to produce accessories for the Israeli Defense Force. Trailblazers CEO Chris McGowan recently announced the decision to bow to pressure from the BDS activists, telling reporter Bleach Report that Leopold is no part of no longer a part of our organization. The move was celebrated by the anti-Semitic Israel activist and picked up by the pro-BDS blog Modoes, which stated that the decision came after a long campaign by local moonbats in Oregon. Yeah. It's fucking... It's it's what it is. It's what our, our progressive betters are. They believe... Their causes are just, and if you're not part of their causes, you're just a piece of shit. You're a total piece of shit, and you need to just fucking shut your goddamn mouth. To media defending people, I had to cover this, because there's so much that it's just unbelievable lately. Once Warren started going up, you I'm just going to read the headlines. Sorry, I just took a drink of my coffee and spilt it all over myself, which was fucking fantastic. Let me take another one without spilling it. Delicious. First, let's get Omar in. Ilian Omar filed for divorce five weeks after she looked at a reporter in the eye and said on camera that she was not separated. Despite photos published by Daily Mail on July 27th showing that she moved out of the family house to apartment. There is people believing... Her la- they're believing that she was related to this guy, too. And Omar swearing under penalty of perjury in her last divorce that she didn't know the names of any of her husband's family. So nothing's happened with what we already proved, that she married her brother. To get him in the country, they're saying the second one appears to be the same thing. More to follow on that. But to Warren. And remember, we covered... The story about her saying she was fired because she was pregnant and then it being proven that she wasn't. She was offered a contract. She refused the contract and now she's trying to use it on the stump. Well, here goes the litany of more articles by our brave firefighters to defend the front runner on the Democratic side. USA Today. Conservatives have latched the new word for pounce, seized, on to the changes in Warren's account of her leaving a job during a pregnancy as another example of her made-up story along with now infamous claim to Native American ancestry. Once again, if she was Democrat or Republican, she wouldn't be running for president. That right there is disqualifying. If you're not a progressive, you're not part of their team for the media. But now, you know, hey, this is her second line. CNN, Senator Elizabeth Warrior's story, story about losing her job at 71, once it became clear she was visibly pregnant, fits into the much larger pattern, one familiar to many women. It's a tradition of sexism in the guise of scrutiny, writes Brandon Tensley. Whole article. Each of these examples is on his own way a distillation of age-old policing mechanism and double standard. Each also shines a light on the inveteral sexism. Women as unreliable narrators. Women are answered for answerable for their husbands' professional lives. Women as weak. This that still today takes up so much space in the narrative, even though it's 
false. AG's conservative. Instead of doing any factual investigation to get to the truth or explain why Warren's current story contradicts quite a lot of evidence, CNN published a piece insisting that even looking into it, it's sexist. Which, come on, it's CNN. Stephen Miller, there's an entire industry of brand new fact checkers, we're told. We're in the golden age of fact checking journalism. But this one is just a big mystery somehow. None of them can look into it. It's true. Nobody will cover it. They even on CNN brought on Emily List, a feminist organization, to say this. And that is Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's been doing very well in some state polls lately. But she's facing some questions now about a narrative she's talked about on the campaign trail a lot. That she was fired from her first teaching job back in the 70s because she was pregnant. And she sort of talks about how it launched her on the career that she ended up having. She stands by that story. Last night she told CBS this. All I know is I was 22 years old. I was six months pregnant. And the job that I had been promised for the next year was going to someone else. The principal said they were going to hire someone else for my job. Now, here's what's come up in, in sort sure. of the, the Twitter sphere, if you will, is that in 2007, at this UC Berkeley interview, she gave kind of a different account. Watch. I actually didn't have the education courses, so I was on an emergency certificate, it was called. And I went back to graduate school and took a couple of courses in education and said, I don't think this is going to work out for me. Hmm. And I was pregnant with my first baby, so I had a baby. Uh, and stayed home for a couple of years. So the senator explains the discrepancy in those accounts by saying, listen, in the decade plus since I was sitting at UC Berkeley, I've been able and felt more comfortable opening up about my story and about my life and my experiences. Does that hold water to you? It does to me. I think, for one, there may be multiple reasons why she didn't come back to that job. But I think what's clear is we know, listen, women were not allowed to get a credit card without their husband's approval pretty recently. This is not a surprise. We've heard from at least one teacher in the area from where um, where Elizabeth Warren was teaching at the time that pregnant women were asked not to come back. Mm. And so I think raising this issue is really important. It holds water to me that maybe that's not something she wanted to come out with initially. Um, I think... Absolutely. I think we've asked a lot of women in the public eye to answer for things that weren't discussed very broadly, and they're starting to be discussed more. That's the beauty in having multiple women running for president, is we can have these conversations. And so I'm glad she's having them and acknowledging that. So with so many women running for president, five of them, you endorsing anybody yet? Not yet. All Not right. Yet. It's great to see how many are out there. We will ask you again next time you're on. Sounds Sierra good. Reynolds, thank you very much. Of course, Emily List is about abortions, and somebody said, if anyone knows the deal with... How to deal with a visible pregnancy is Emily List. That's right. Get rid of that motherfucker and then eat it. New York Times. Senator Elizabeth Warren further details her experience of losing a teaching job because of pregnancy, refuting conservative news sites' challenge of her account. I had an experience millions of women are recognized, she tweeted. That was their story. WAPO! Because, remember, everybody was on board. Conservative claim Elizabeth Warren lied about pregnancy firing. Women reality checked them on social media. Who was the women? Margaret Sullivan, an author over there at WAPO. In today's bad faith media sphere, revelations presented without sufficient context can do unfair damage. They will be weaponized, falsely regurgitated, and twisted beyond recognition. My new column. The all-male board fired this young woman because she was pregnant and because of this deep-seated misogyny and then goes on to prove no facts 
and say if there's a scandal here, it's how in the bad faith media world, narrowly presented facts without sufficient context can do unfair harm. Poor her, Stephen Miller. And this takes the topper. It's a cake topper. She's on video in 2007. Independent journalists found that video while you were writing your 1,000th It's a Shame Journalism is Dying in Flyover Country piece. John Harward. Does anybody seriously believe it's not as everyday as sunrise and employers made pregnant women leave their jobs 50 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, it's not true. Doesn't happen to everybody. Stephen Miller, here's a new narrative several Slack channel hacks are running with. It happened to some people, so Elizabeth Warren is telling the truth. And that's true. And then he asked every fucking reporter kept on repeating it. Does this ever get exhausting for you? It's got to be exhausting for you to continue to spin and lie. And the best part about it, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to play it. Mediate. Stephen Miller says it for me. Another smear job from right-wing nutjob outlet, Squits. Mediate. Formed by a liberal. Run as part of MSDNC. They found the video. I'm so pleased that we have the opportunity to talk with uh, Elizabeth Warren, who graduated in 1976, one of our most distinguished graduates. I was married at 19 to a boy I had dated since my freshman year in high school. Uh, I had a baby. He was transferred to New Jersey. Uh, I, I was going to be a public school teacher and a uh, whole series of quick events. And I'd been a high school debater, and the boys in high school debate back in Oklahoma had said, you should think about law school. And so I read up, found out there was a law school in uh, Newark, drove in, looked around, and thought I could give it a try. I didn't know any lawyers. And so um, I paid my money and got a babysitter for Amy, the little one, and uh, showed up not, not having a clue. And it went from there. I would prepare for my classes. I thought, this time I've got it. I know what this is about. I, I really read it. I go into class and just... It would classes would go by in the blink of an eye. It was it was uh, it was like being on a roller coaster. You know, you feel the climb and then you feel the drop and the move and the twist. And and I can remember after classes, it was important to me. I had a little blue Volkswagen and I race out. I jump in my blue Volkswagen and and hightail it to the babysitters because I only paid until right. <laughs> right? That was that was the deal. Uh, I was only paid up until 2 o'clock, and I didn't want her putting Amy down for a nap. And I pick up this baby, and I put her in her car seat, and I drive, shifting and driving and shaking her foot with one hand to keep her awake till I could get to the house. And I put her down in her crib, and then I turn around and walk into the bedroom. And I can remember doing this many times with my big, heavy book bag on my shoulder, and just falling across the bed and going instantly to sleep for maybe half an hour. It was as if my brain had been so stretched out of shape by four hours of law school. 
that it needed time to just kind of pull back into some semblance of normal. And then I got to my first class with Alan Axelrod. And uh, Carter had told me, uh, I said, he said, you've got to take Alan Axelrod as soon as the opening comes up. And there was no opening my first year. He wasn't teaching anything for first years. And I said, what does he teach? And he looked at me with just this disgusted look. And he said, it doesn't matter. He said, take him if he's teaching the phone book. I took every class he taught. That's the reason I ended up teaching commercial law and bankruptcy. That's he changed my life and, and, and just opened it up in ways that he taught me about how multidimensional the world is, about how neutrality is an illusion. It, it really is always about winners and losers and how those who know, those who start with power, those who start with resources um, can do so well in that world. I teach the two courses that, for me, are the alpha and omega of law, contract law. Private parties can put something together that has the potential to build wealth for both of them. Both come out of the transaction wealthier. Every day and every first day in my contracts class now at Harvard, I sell my watch and, and drive home to the students that that transaction makes me richer because obviously I value the money more than the watch and makes the student richer because the student obviously values the watch more than the money. And we build a whole legal structure on that, that fundamental insight about exchange. And then I teach the end of the process, bankruptcy. The law will enforce, but there's an, a place to it where it says, but not anymore. Um, we only impose private obligations on people to a certain point. And then we say it's not in anyone's interest to push it beyond that point. And that's true whether we're talking about trillion-dollar corporations or whether we're talking about um, a single-parent family, that there's a, there's a basic part of the social structure where value is better preserved by saying, in effect, you know, you lent money, you took the risk that the person on the other side, things go wrong, and they may not be able to pay back. Now, you want a high standard for that, but it's what are the social decisions for when we'll break those pieces apart? What are the social decisions when we say that's too far, and, and what do we preserve at that moment? We say, in effect, in America, you preserve your future wages to feed your own family. We say which creditors are going to get first call on what it is that you have. It's, it's the ultimate course in our public values. And so, so for me, that's what the game is all about. It's to understand law, government, comes in and says we will enforce promise because it's how our, our people can be richer but we will also enforce the notion of bankruptcy because that's how we express both our humanity and the notion that we have um, a shared desire to see everyone have a, a minimum level, a place we all have to protect. So Professor Carter, my torts teacher, in the first term of law school, uh, sometime in early November, invited me out to lunch. I've never been out to lunch with a professor. I mean, wow. And so 
we walked down to this little place. We're sitting and having sandwiches. And he looked up and he said, you know, you could be a teacher. And I said, no, no, I'm coming to law school. And he said, I mean, a, a law teacher, a law professor, you've got it in you. And I thought, a professor? Uh, what an amazing thing. I can remember driving back down Route 280 in my little blue Volkswagen, and I said it out loud for the first time. Professor Warren. Boy, wouldn't that be an amazing thing. I've never even seen Wall Street. And I asked around, asked people what they were doing. Rutgers had it. There were sign-up sheets. And I actually got a job on Wall Street in a incredibly tall building in the oldest law firm on Wall Street. And it was an amazing experience. I mean, just it, it was a time when uh, women uh, had uh, not been invited. I graduated from law school uh, nine months pregnant, and Amy's getting a little bigger at that point. And I thought I'd stepped off the, the train you know, hard enough to get a job for a woman then. I was about to have a baby, and nobody was interested in me. And uh, with that law degree from Rutgers, I hung out a shingle. Rutgers was a place that taught me, pull up your socks and try it. I mean, that's just really what I learned here. Um, uh, you're, you're smart. We'll work with you. You can learn this. This is all manageable. Just do it. Just, just break it off and do it. And as a result, while I was here, I loved it. I loved everything I studied in law school. I loved every subject I took. I ultimately loved every one of my teachers. I mean, it was just a kind of a, here are these opportunities. And it's how I started to see the world. It was an opportunity. You had to work hard. You had to think about it. But if you would, you could you could do things. You could actually manage things. You could actually accomplish things. And you know something? You accomplish one thing, by golly, you get a chance. Somebody asks you to accomplish another one. And you get that one done, and you're having fun doing it, and somebody comes along and asks you something else. You know, it, it's always interesting to me. People will say to me, gosh, you started teaching at Rutgers and then at the University of Houston, and you ended up at Harvard. You must have been terribly ambitious. And the answer is no, not even slightly ambitious. I loved what I did, and I worked hard at what I did, and I tried to accomplish something where I was. And every time I did that, a door seemed to swing open somewhere else, and I walked through. I've loved this place always, and I will always be enormously grateful for the opportunities that Rutgers Law School has given to me. The Babylon Bee even spoofed her with Elizabeth Warren recalls how she lost her teaching job when her fake mustache fell off, revealing she's a woman. Because even to them and everybody else, she's an unreliable hack. To our media hate, and this is going to be a long podcast. I'm sorry, my sound bites are pretty long today. Here is the media clamoring for impeachment. The cover-up, the tapes, and a president under a cloud of impeachment. Is President Trump out Nixoning Nixon? Who better to ask than two legends? Oh, certainly it's reminiscent of the Watergate period in the 1970s. But there is this big difference, Don, and I do think we need to, you know, we need to kind of pause and assess where we are, the gravity of the situation, but at the same time, 
remain calm. But what's different between what Richard Nixon did and what Donald Trump has already admitted to is this. It involves a foreign power. The whole scandal Watergate, that widespread criminal conspiracy led by a president of the United States himself, had to do with what happened in this country. It was all domestic. There wasn't a foreign power involved. We have a pure truth, and it's pretty simple. The president of the United States was conspiring with the leader of a foreign power to discredit one of the president's political opponents, and then there was a concerted effort in the White House with others besides the president involved to cover it up. That's a big difference. When you okay. say something about out-Nixon okay. Nixon, yeah. I do think in this case that President Trump has out-Nixon Nixon. Well, same. Oh, it's very significant. And there's a big thing that's happened here in the last week. You know, it took almost two years to find, and after two years, to find the evidence on Richard Nixon. And the final piece was the smoking tape the killer tape in which we heard him and his chief of staff conspire for the cover-up. Well, it was just a week ago that the whistleblower story came into public view. And now we have the smoking transcript of the presidential call. We have the evidence right there. You read the transcript, mm -hmm. and President Trump is acknowledging what his opponents say he needs to be impeached for. Yeah. That is, that he conspired to set up a phony investigation of the Bidens by the Ukrainian government, and he urged them to do it and said we could help. What we don't know about this is a great deal more than what we do know. What we already know is, you know, what the president and Rudolf Giuliani and others have already admitted. Admitted to it, right? Practically yeah. says we can start to roll the credits on a mob movie. Yeah. But so this has moved quite fast. Yeah. I predict we're going to have an impeachment vote in the House, all Democrats, maybe two or three Republicans. But look at the Senate. Many of them up for re-election. They stick like a, a, a bug to the president at the moment. But if public opinion moves against him, they'll discover, well, he's a terrible man. Yeah. How could we be fooled by him all this time? It couldn't be clearer. And that's not just undermining democratic institutions. Uh, that is treason. It's treason pure and simple. And the penalty for treason under the U.S. Code is death. That's the only penalty. The, the penalty under the Constitution is removal from office, and that might look like a pretty good alternative to the president if he could work out a plea deal. Governor Weld, you went a little bit further than just impeachment in your prior comments, and I just want to continue with that a bit. You said sure. that Donald Trump has committed treason, and the penalty for treason under American law is death. Do you, what's the legal framework here? Have you looked into this? What, uh, how do you see this proceeding? Well, the legal framework is under the U.S. Criminal Code. The only penalty for treason is death. It's spelled out in the statute. Under the Constitution, as you know, grounds for removal from office, impeachment and removal from any federal office, are treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. We don't have to worry about bribery anymore, although I think he's committed that. We don't have to worry about other high crimes and misdemeanors, although I think he's committed many. He's such a lawless man. We've got treason, and we don't have to dribble around the court. We can go right for the hoop. It's well past time for this guy, in my opinion, to be colloquial, to be carted off to save us all. He's daring us all to let him be totally lawless. He has no respect for the law. He doesn't understand the law. He has no knowledge base under any issue. It does feel like a moment in time. We've sat on the set after so many uh, Trump's snafus and, you know, oh, this is it. This is... 
This is a game changer. And the, yeah. the Democrats can't smell this. I've been, I've been one all along saying step away from impeachment because when it's a process thing, when it's campaign finance, this is the big one. If this is the case, this is the Super so, Bowl, and the Democrats need to pounce aggressively. Donald Trump. Uh, likely, if the, the news reports are true, the editorials are true, likely did something extraordinarily inappropriate. Impeachable. Uh, that, that, would, that would once again impact America's democratic process. Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, Jerry Nadler, Elijah Cummings. This is, you, you, the, this the is guards have opened up a lane. Yeah. Put the ball under and run through, run off tackle, and you'll score. This is a moment in time. That all the other calls for impeachment, which to me is when you're talking about campaign finance, voting people cannot connect with. This is a very simple tale that is almost unimaginable. And it, this one does feel different. And this does feel like the time the Democrats need to storm the gate. I don't think that the American people For the record, I cut 12 minutes off that soundbite. That went on for 18 minutes. And I missed some good shit. So I'm going to keep it for next podcast, and I'm going to start the podcast off with that. 18 minutes of everything from what about democracy, what about the kids, what about the children? It just goes on and on and on. It's worse than before. It's now every viable thing that I can sum up because of time with this soundbite. From Chuck Todd. Every time somebody shows up, he makes them try to bash Trump. But the key soundbite in this is him literally saying the impeachment isn't going fast enough. Are you concerned that while the country speaks with one voice uh, 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 on a governmental level when it comes to Russia, that the political leader is not? Yeah, I won't, I won't make political assessments right now. The military job is to protect this experiment, uh, this, this America, and the American people will decide who the political leaders will be. I have a lot of faith the American people uh, will be represented by the right political leaders. I'm curious how you handle all of the recommendations you get in the media to speak out. Um, as you know, there's probably a column every other day where somebody says, I'll put up some headlines yeah. from some of them. You've seen them. Um, it's time for these officials to come to the aid of their country. Trump is in free-for-all. We need insights on his fitness from Mattis, Kelly, and others now. Those who work with Trump must now tell Congress what they know. Yeah. First of all, if Congress subpoenaed you and, and, uh, for, to, to try to find out what you knew about decision-making processes when it came to Ukraine or other things, would you uh, cooperate? Well, I, uh, I'd have to know specifically what it was about. I mean, I obeyed the law, and right. I've obeyed the law my entire life. Uh, so that that's not the issue. But but again, uh, remember that the Defense Department stays outside of politics for a reason. There's a long-standing tradition why you do not want the military to be engaged in politics. And I realize some individuals have done so. Mm -hmm. But uh, again, only in Washington could I resign publicly over a matter of policy. You feel like it's pretty, you feel like your resignation letter is pretty clear what it, you think. Like, I, it, what more do you need to add, as you're saying? It's a page and a half long. It talks about our, our security being tied inextricably to our alliances. Do I don't know what more I could say about how I think we ought to treat allies and how we should treat those who are, are adversaries. Is America safer today because of this decision in, uh, in Syria? 
that that's a complex question. Uh, I would say America is always safer when it builds the trust and a sense of reliability among our allies that we're reliable. When you have said, if you feel like you need to speak out more, you will. You'll know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, that, that seems to think that you do have more to say. You just don't believe this period of time is appropriate. Well, Chuck, the, I have a lot of faith in the American people. Uh, they know how to vote. They don't need military generals telling them that they think this political assessment is the one they should go with or the other one is, that sort of thing, especially as corrosive as the political debate has grown in the country. Yeah. Uh, this would be the worst time, I think, for military people to step out like that. But also, the Constitution, I think, is a very hardy document. I've got a love affair with the U.S. Constitution. I actually used to read it about once a year and always found something new in it. So I, I, would, I always carry one with me. Well, and I, right I admire that. Uh, all the time a, because you need it. I had a pocket uh, pocket version myself. I didn't carry it all the time, but I carried it a lot of days. I used to not carry it all the time. I need it more often uh, uh, these days. We all need uh, it today. Meanwhile, yes. back at home, Chuck, Rudy Giuliani, obviously the president has come out yesterday again in support mm-hmm. of the former New York City mayor and his personal attorney. Two Giuliani clients arrested on a plane in Washington, taken off uh, a jetway there. Testimony coming up from key officials around the Ukraine story on Capitol Hill and the impeachment inquiry this week. There's a lot in the air. What does it all amount to, Chuck, for the White House? Well, I think it amounts to uh, the problem for them is that it's not just a lot in the air. There was always a lot in the air on Mueller, but it didn't always tie together. Here, it's it's everything is related. It's pretty easy to understand. The picture gets... Um, both uh, uglier, I think, at times for the president, the more we learn about Rudy Giuliani's associates, and at the same time, uh, a bit more complicated. The one larger question I have, Willie, is, is this investigation getting so big that they're not going to be able to wrap it up as quickly as they thought they were? Mm. Yeah, and Nancy Pelosi emphasized the speed and clarity of Mm -hmm. what she was going after. It made me more difficult to do that. Chuck, thank you so much. Well, here's why we're here, because there is a disinformation. We have have two sets of realities that live here. There is a 40% of the country that is only getting fed one -hmm. one reality. Arguably, 60% are getting what I would argue is reality. Um, But this is a huge problem. And it's clear that whether it doesn't matter if your voters are only hearing this one thing, are we capable of governing ourselves in, uh, with a disinformation campaign that's happening like this? Well, until the senior uh, officials of the Republican Party push back against Trump, I think this is going to be a very, very long and difficult fight. Because this dishonesty, this disinformation now is just overwhelming and inundating the airwaves. Whether it be social media platforms or a lot of the you know, news networks, they continue just to put out false information and it gains traction. And, and I can understand how so many Americans then are confused. Many Americans are going to send me emails going, how could you put a traitor like John uh, uh, Brennan on television? Yeah. Well, you, you know, know what I mean? I, I work 33 years in national security and I feel good about my record. And there's a lot of false information out there that now people take as gospel. One of the things I, I used to do when I had to travel overseas professionally is, is read those CIA, the public fact sheets and CIA descriptions of the politics of, and, the, and the, what's happening in that country. How would the CIA assess the stability of the American government right now? Oh, if, well, it were, if it were if assessing America 
as if it was another country? Uh, we would look at it as a very corrupt government that is uh, under the sway right now of this powerful individual who has been able to just corrupt the institutions and the laws of that country. What would you say about the stability of the democracy? I, th I think it's uh, no longer, you know, a democracy if an autocrat is, has it in his hands. And people like Johnson and others are putty in his hands, which means that the democratic principles upon which this country are founded are, are eroding right now. So the CIA would not assess America as a state. Also this week, Chuck Todd, most likely taking a veiled swipe at Fox News, Todd complained that we have two sets of realities to live here. There is 40% of the country that is only getting fed one reality, Arguably, 60% are getting what I would argue is reality. He asked Brennan, if your voters are only hearing this one thing, are we capable of governing ourselves with a disinformation campaign that's happening like this? Folks, it's so bad. Real clear politics. Chuck Todd and the demise of journalism. Conspiracy theories is one of their headings. All the ones he's done. Ad hominems. Unsurprisingly, the interview went downhill from Todd making accusations against Johnson. The MTP host says, Senator, please, can we just answer the question instead of making up Donald Trump feel better that you're criticizing him? This is about last podcast when he went off on a senator bringing up what happened in 2016. Page and Zork, FBI agents, media navel-gazing. I mean, this goes on. This is from real clear politics. This isn't from a conservative site. Folks, our media says that because they are getting pissed that you, who don't watch CNN, don't watch MSNBC, are not mainlining Democratic talking points every day. Sit back and look at our set of facts and go, we've had nothing but impeachable scandals. Three votes for impeachment based on nothing. A fourth vote for impeachment based on nothing. It's coming. And as I stated, he'll get impeached in the House over nothing. And all the while in the background... You'll have White House declares war on impeachment inquiry and the Constitution. An actual chyron on CNN. The Constitution. When did you care about the Constitution? You want to get rid of the Electoral College. You want to fucking have open borders. You don't enforce any kind of laws. I mean, when did the left want the Constitution? You had a president for eight years who was eight years who was a constitutional law professor who literally wiped his ass on it all the time because it didn't fit your bullshit. And the worst is CNN's Avalon crudely dismissed Benghazi hearing as not serious, like the impeachment. And that's how we'll close this segment out and go into news and social media nuggets for time constraints i won't play another song but this was my this is america today this is fucking unbelievable people dying in a foreign government due to fucked up policy that our media didn't even go into why are they even there 
or tying the knots between, oh, these people got these guns from the CIA, and then they got handed to ISIS. None of that was ever investigated under the eight years of Bush, I mean, uh, Obama. But that, that is a non-serious scandal. Oh, really? Well, and then there's this moment from the Benghazi hearings, 2012. Here he was. The notion that you can withhold information and documents from Congress, no matter whether you're the party in power or not in power, is wrong. Respect for the rule of law must mean something irrespective of the vicissitudes of political cycles. So, Avalon, when he is asked, Mr. Gowdy, where is the respect for the rule of law? What does he say? He'll say, uh, that was then, this is now, and we were investigating Hillary Clinton. Look, I would love, I would love... Uh, for Trey Gowdy to be consistent on this. I'd love to see any philosophical consistency in Congress rather than yeah. pure situational <laughs> ethics. But, ah, but, um, but uh, you know, the, the problem is, A, he didn't need to shout it, and B, we don't expect it because everyone's sort of knee-deep in hypocrisy on this stuff. The problem is, it is the Constitution at stake. This isn't a Benghazi-type hearing. This is really serious stuff. With Mark, were you trying to get crazy with this, eh? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Air Force has all but given up on retiring the A-10 Warthog close air support jet. Instead, the flying branch is upgrading the tough ground attackers so they can fight and survive in high-intensity combat. The Air Force had hoped to begin retiring its 281 A-10s starting in 2015. But Congress blocked the effort. Now the A-10 is safe even as the Air Force considers retiring other plane types. Acting Air Force Secretary Matt Donovan stoked speculation that the service will retire the A-10 after announcing that its FY21 budget request will include controversial changes such as the divestment of legacy aircraft, Valerie Encina reported at Defense News. But speaking at the conference later that day, Lieutenant General Timothy Fay, Deputy Chief of Staff for Strategy, Integration and Requirements, confirmed that the A-10 is not one of the aircraft under consideration for divestment and will stay in service until the 2030s. Short answer, no, Fay said, when asked whether the Warthog is on the cutting block. I will tell you, I wish the response had been that the Air Force is actually bold enough to get after the threats that we're facing. Air Force acquired the subsonic twin-engine planes in the 1970s and 1980s in order to destroy Soviet tanks. The stubby Warthog with its powerful 30mm cannon proved effective as a close-air support aircraft in Iraq and Afghanistan. Despite its popularity with ground troops, the Air Force wanted to retire the A-10 early in order to free up around $5 billion for other investments. Now that retirement is off the table, the service is moving ahead with a wide range of upgrades meant to keep the Warthog relevant into the 2030s. The new upgrades come after the completion, at the end of July 2019, of a first re-winging program that saw the installation of new wings, built by Boeing, on 173 A-10s, Stefano Durso reported at The Aviationist.
According to the Air Force Materiel Command, the upgraded wings should last for up to 10,000 flight hours without requiring a depot inspection. One month later, the U.S. Air Force awarded Boeing a second contract, worth up to $999 million, that will provide up to 112 new wing assemblies, completing the re-winging of all 281 A-10s currently in inventory. The A-10s also are getting new weapons, avionics and sensors, Durso explained. As Durso noted, the Air Force, in fact, has recently started fielding a new improved version of the Thales Visionix Scorpion helmet-mounted display system, used by A-10 pilots following the helmet-mounted integrated targeting program in 2012. The main modification is the replacement of the original magnetic tracking sensor with a new sensor known as Hobbit, hybrid optical-based inertial tracker, which should track pilot head movements more accurately. A second major upgrade is the integration of the GBU-39 small-diameter bomb in the A-10's arsenal. Until now the A-10 was limited to carry only a single weapon on each pylon, by using the Brew-61, Iraq, the A-10 will be able to carry four SDBs on each weapon pylon, becoming a bomb truck that can release these standoff weapons to neutralize threats as far as 50 miles in the target area before starting to provide close air support to ground troops. Warthogs finally are getting Link-16 datalinks, too. Durso explained. With the integration of Link-16, the A-10 will be able to communicate and exchange data with all other legacy air assets, namely tactical jets, electronic warfare aircraft, bombers and AWACS, as well as the F-35. Finally, there's a new radar a first for the type. The last known upgrade is the integration of a synthetic aperture radar pod to supplement the existing targeting capabilities provided by the sniper and lightning targeting pods. While not officially confirmed, the pod in question could be the an ASQ-236 Dragon's Eye active electronically scanned array radar pod, already operational on the F-15E Strike Eagle. Military Corner, that soundbite was brought to you by Matt in Oregon. It goes on with some beautiful footage. I freaking loved it, but of course, it's just music and jet sound, so I edited it down. Afghan officials say raid killed top Al-Qaeda commander. His name was uh, Asim Omar and six other Al-Qaeda members. Yay team. Leaked slides show 84% of women failing army fitness tests, the new one, official, officials respond. 
Leaked slides of Army physical fitness testing results went viral after being posted by an Army Center Facebook group. The figures show that stunning 84% of women who have taken the new Army combat fitness test have failed, whereas 70% of men have passed. However, according to Army Times, officials involved in collecting the data for the new test claim the slides are not official documents from the Center of Initial Military Training. U.S. Army what-the-fuck exclaimed moments. Moments posted the data maintained the slides were used to brief Secretary of the Army and Chief of Staff. The group, founded in 2010, frequently posts Army-related news and entertainment and informs the public about veterans' needs. Over the last year, the Army has been prepared for the ACFT. Part of the preparation was fielded the proposed events and standards to various units to gauge the events. One of the Army Premier Corps conducted testing of 11 battalions, which equaled 3,206 soldiers being tested. The, those 11 battalions were a mixture of operational, operational support, and force sustainment. That meant that the individuals tested had varied backgrounds to include infantry, cavalry, engineers, MPs, military intelligence, sustainers, and various others. Of the 3,206 soldiers tested, 2,849 were male and 357 were female. The overall pass rate was 64%, which means 36% failed. When they looked at the male perspective, it was 70 passing, 30 failing. However, females were vastly opposite, 16 passing and 84 failing. So you can guarantee with most Ricky Tick, they're going to change all the standards so females can stay in the military and be equal to men. Once again, not a sexist, but the PT standards have always been tilted like minimum 32 push-ups for a man, 16 for a woman. How does that make any sense? I mean, we're all equal, right? This soldier amputated his own leg to help save his comrades when his tank crashed. Specialist Ezra May and two other soldiers fell asleep in the tank last year after a week-long training exercise. When he woke up, the vehicle was speeding down a hill. I called out to the driver, step on the brakes. The armor crewman recalled an Army news release, but the parking brake had failed, and when the crew tried to use emergency braking procedure, the vehicle kept moving. Once it flipped over, there's nothing else they could do, blah, blah, blah. He then amputated his arm, or excuse me, his leg, and got there and extricated his buddies. Pictures and everything. It is unbelievable. His leg is gone forever, but he saved some people. The six strangest super weapons of the Cold War. One, the Blue Peacock. Landmines are dangerous, tricky business for a couple of reasons. First is they're hidden, of course, and no one knows where they are until it's too late. With the Blue Peacock, too late came with a lot of baggage, 8 to 10 kilotons worth. In the Cold War, every one of their special atomic weapon, it seemed for the British, that came in the form of denying the Soviets an area to occupy in the event of World War III. Blue Peacock was a large atomic weapon that would have been buried in areas around northern Germany and sent a trigger if someone opened the casing or if it filled with water. Oh, my God. It was left unattended. That's just crazy. It could be set for an eight-day timer. That's just horrible. Chrysler TV-8 tank. Is this the goofiest tank you ever seen? Me too. But it's an American engineered nuclear tank imported from from Detroit. This behemoth was nuclear and that it was powered by a nuclear reactor that was designed to use closed-circuit television for the crew to see. The crew would reside in the tank's massive pod area along with the engines and aluminum storage, but the pod design would also allow the TV-8 to float along with two water jet pumps, giving it an amphibious landing capability. Wow. 
It was way ahead of its time. It had remote 50 cals and 30s. Hmm. Project Orion, still riding high for possibility of nuclear weapon power. American engineers thought going to Mars and beyond would be possible with the use of atomic engine. But this isn't an engine that is propelled by some sort of atomic chain reactor or any kind of vacuum energy. No, this engine was powered by atomic bombs. Nuclear bombs were supposed to give the spacecraft lift, and once in space, the energy needed for interplanetary excursion. Problem was, fallout. Hmm. Rods from God. Finally, someone decided that nuclear weapons and nuclear power weapons were being a little overdone, probably anyway, and came up with the idea to design a weapon that could hit with the force of a nuke, but without actually nuking a city. Project Thor was born. Hmm. Project Pluto, if there was ever the contest of the biggest fuck-you weapon of the Cold War, the United States Project Pluto was a top contender. The weapon was an unmanned ramjet loaded with nuclear weapons that, once launched, would fly around for as long as it could supersonic speeds. The jet engine was special, though, because it was heated by a nuclear reactor, so that turned out to be very, very long time. Once a nuclear drone bomber delivered its payload to targets, it would just fly around, dropping its nuclear waste on everyone it flew over. Wow. Soviet Plan, the flying boat. Unlike a couple of other crazy super weapons of the Cold War that made this list, the Plane was actually built by the Soviets. Faster than any ship and bigger than any plane, the flying boat would carry anything from troops to cargo to nuclear weapons all at a crazy speed and just 13 feet off the ground. Its engines were some of the most advanced of the time, each producing thrusts equal to the F-35 could carry some 2 million pounds, flying low over water to evade detection, moving small portable D-Day invasions across the globe. Luckily, only one was ever built, and the Soviets lost the Cold War anyway, thank God. So, let's go to our college crazy with a soundbite that goes a little something like this. I had a corrupt file, shit. Student arrested after police say he targeted a conservative group, that was the soundbite. University of Nevada, Reno students facing charges after physical confrontation with Turning Point USA members who are promoting an upcoming coming event with Charlie Cook. Kirk, excuse me. Wow. This is Kirk speaking. This intolerant leftist pretends he's curious about my upcoming visit. He then violently throws over the TPS, TPUSA chapter table and sprints away. Reno police needed, needs to look into this, this destruction of property and targeting of conservatives. Retweet so they can't ignore, and it's probably already ignored. Let's be honest. You can beat up on conservatives in America, and we have no problems with that. It's all good. California offers to pay for basic needs of students. The state of California shelled out $1.5 million the University of California, Santa Cruz, where students have insufficiently nutritious food. And I think I covered this, but I can't remember. But they are providing everything. All right, everything for these kids. So I wanted to hit it one more time. If I hadn't covered it, I couldn't remember if I picked this one up. But we're talking food, clothing, shelter. These poor students. Why should we make them work to earn their degree? We need to pay them to go to college. Free college, free food, a chicken in everyone's pot. Make America Great Again listed on California College's White Supremacy Pyramid. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. San Diego City College hosted a white supremacist seminar in early October, distributing flyers claiming that the cultural appropriation, racist mascots, and Make America Great Again are instances of white supremacy. The event, Confronting White Supremacy Through the Arts... (laughs) 
hosted by directors of World Culture Program at SDCC, Mike, Michelle Chan and Marie Jose Zalendon Perez. If you got four names, you're a douchebag. My God, that's double hyphen. Come join us in confronting white supremacy through students' performance, reads a promotional flyer for the event, photographed by Campus Reform. Prior to the performances, Quest speakers will set the stage and contextualize what white supremacy is, its areas of activity, and how rampant it is in our society. Curriculum, mindset, and media. Oh, man, they got a black guy, and he's the guy that's on uh, MSDNC all the time. He's a fucking douche nozzle. Event attendees receive multiple worksheets supposedly visualizing white supremacists. Everybody close your eyes, visualize it. It's a white guy in the middle of the country. Non-liberal. Got it. I don't I don't know why we have to have a workplace. You, you say it every day on the media. We already know who it is. Everybody who's not a prog. And even the prog sometimes. One pyramid ranked white supremacy on the scale of overt white supremacy, socially unacceptable. To covert white supremacy, social acceptable. So I guess I'm in the covert. I'm covertly saying your shit is bullshit. So that makes me a white supremacist. Items on the f- items on the former side of the pyramid included Ku Klux Klan, neo Nazis, and the N word. Both covert supremacy, make America great again, cultural appropriation, Columbus Day celebrations, and racist mascots. Another white supremacy pyramid classified Eurocentrist curriculum. Which, if you're learning about history that isn't about gay people or black people or people of color, you're a piece of shit. Claiming reverse racism or veiled racism and funding schools locally as discrimination. Yeah, these pyramids are fantastic. SDCC sophomore Damone Rodriguez attended the event and suggested to campus form that he was worried about being threatened. And my mega hat on campus had to hide it and worry of being threatened or targeted with speech or allegations against by other students. Attend the end of the event to see that they had multiple students performing acts such as rapping poems, singing that were directed towards the current administration, and people who either support or follow the current president administration. Some of the topics include some of the misinformation about people like me, Trump supporters. SDCC also distributed a white supremacy wheel. It broke down the origins of white supremacy on a global scale, tying the concept of fields ranging from economics and education to sex and religion. It's a neat little fucking thing. Everything's racist. Economics, racist. Uh, the West is racist. Uh, religion's racist, politics are racist, laws racist, labor's racist, everything's racist! Jesus. Anti-racist alert system notifies UNS, UNC students of dangerous individuals. When white supremacists b- brought guns to campus, UNC waited 48 hours to send an alert. We alert you to racist activity on campus as soon as we know about it. Subscribe to text 919 629 0185, the anti-racist alert. Activist students at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill are using an anti-racist alert text message system to notify others when individuals and groups that they don't agree with step foot on their campus. A graduate student at UNC created the system after the on-campus presence of pro-Confederate group Heirs to the Confederacy, which protests the removal of Silent Sam Confederate Monument as reported by Insider High Education. Two individuals tied to the group were convicted of on-campus vandalism memorial in September, according to the News and Observer. The people that are reporting it are ones. PhD candidate Lindsay Ayling was upset that UNC has done absolutely nothing to alert students about the presence of such groups. The administration didn't issue any type of alert because 
Those people are evil and they shouldn't be on our campus. Ailing claims that such groups' presence on campus is incredibly dangerous because it's obvious which people, Confederate groups and racist groups, are most likely to target when bringing a gun to campus. Ailing runs the alert system along with a small group of activists who work to verify reports. If one of our friends tells us, oh, I saw some people with Confederate flags over McCorkle Plaza, then one of us can check and confirm it's real, and we hand it out to our 1,000 subscribers who don't want to hear any other opposing views. Wow. Vanderbilt marks Indigenous People Day with white cannibals talk. Wow, this is just right down the road for me. Uh, Vanderbilt University Department Chair will lecture on white cannibals this Columbus Day in an effort to highlight hypocrisies which, within debates surrounding the invasion of the New World. The Tennessee School will not celebrate Columbus Day this year, but instead recognize October 14th as Indigenous People Day. On the agenda for Vanderbilt's Indigenous People Day celebration is a lecturing European people eating. Yeah. Not ready anymore. And it's this time of year, I mean, it is the 14th, Michigan State University bans racially, culturally, or ethnically based costumes for Halloween. And remember, white kids wearing Black Panther, you can't do that either. Hmm. Students at Michigan State University getting education on how they can avoid offending people with culturally inappropriate Halloween costumes and what's becoming a new tradition that undermines the university's own identity. The unsolicited advice on what what to wear on Fright Night appears to message boards and campus residents this week and helps students answer the question, Is your Halloween costume racist? What's becoming an annual reminder from MSU Residence Education and Housing Service spells out the difference between cultural appropriation versus appreciation. When students are selecting a Halloween costume, Ray, R-E-H-S, wants them to ask themselves, do you belong to that group of people? If the answer is no, then it's racist, according to the MSU official. It doesn't matter if the getup is humorous or sexy because it is offensive to those people human elements... What does that even mean for the sake of bringing us laughter and making us feel more exotic? These are people's lives, and they are not stereotypes, according to the posters. They can't take off a costume! How would you like it if someone turned you into a costume? They do. I don't care. Go ahead. Make fun of fucking people in the South all the time. How would you like it if someone... In the third year, MSU officials pushed the program on students in the week ahead of Halloween. The boards offer numerous examples of hyper-sexualized racism, like women in two-piece Native American costumes, as well as other costume fails depicting Mexican and Japanese culture that should be off-limits. Sombreros, mustaches, Nazi gear, Rastafarian, illegal aliens, Middle Eastern attire, and other racially, culturally, or ethnically-based costumes are also a no-no. The poster claims it's also racist to dress up as Jay-Z, Beyonce, Kanye West, Kim West. According to MSU, students should understand that cultural appropriation involves Western appropriation of non-Western or non-white forms. Yeah. Sparty, uh, suppressing a costume idea because it reflected culture is ridiculous, Barati said. Should we abandon Sparty as to not offend those of Greek origins? That's a good question. Because Sparty is making fun of my heritage. I'm Greek. And I'm offended. Hmm. Teacher allegedly displays graphics saying Confederate flag means you intend to marry your sister. See? See? That's okay. We have no problem with everybody in the South fucks their cousin. 
A Georgia teacher allegedly showed a PowerPoint image, a Confederate flag to the teacher classroom accompanied by a caption reading, a sticker you put on the back of your pickup truck to announce that you intend to marry your sister. Think of it like a white trash save the date card. The Washington Post, referring to the Augusta Chronicle, reported the image originally taken from the popular webcomic, The Oatmeal, was projected on a whiteboard to explain the concept of story within a story, the Chronicle reported. And this is okay to the Washington Post. This is not wrong to stereotype a whole bunch of people. I mean, they're fucking white Southerners who don't vote Democrat. Fuck them. The incident allegedly occurred at Hezbollah High School where the daughter of Melissa Fuller was in teacher's class. Melissa Fuller told WRDW she found it offensive, so she sent it to me and asked me what I thought. Fuller posted the story on Facebook. Fuller stated, a lot of it is that it's not morally correct. It's unethical. It's just something you don't want to discuss today in today's world, especially inside a classroom. Why was that used? With it being such a rough area, why would you put that out there to start a class discussion that could have turned very ugly? The district gave out a statement. The Richmond County School System is committed to creating a diverse, equitable learning environment for all students. The language used in the example was unaccessible and has no place in a classroom. But that bitch is tenured, so we can't do shit to her because she's a person of color. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes total fucking sense. I mean, that makes sense. But our capper article for college is, oh, so, it, it just sums up what we've all lived since 2016 because of progressives. I mean, it's not because of Trump. Technically it is, because it makes these people so fucking crazy, but this one, wow. College professor accuses SpongeBob SquarePants of cultural appropriation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what is he fucking taking sponges? I mean, what the fuck? If you thought that the leftist cancel culture couldn't get any more absurd, well, it just did. SpongeBob SquarePants, the popular television cartoon, has been accused of cultural appropriation by a university professor. Campus reform covered the strange premise put forth by Professor Holly Barker of the University of Washington, which my Ducks play this weekend, so it doesn't surprise me at all. And she wrote an academic journal called The Contemporary Pacific, a journal of island affairs. The accusatory title of Barker article is Unsettling SpongeBob and the Legacies of Violence on Bikini Bottom. It's a fucking cartoon, but okay. Barker's chief complaint hinges on her perception that she, the show's fictional setting of the town of Bikini Bottom is based on the non-fictional Bikini Atoll, a coral reef in the Marshall Islands used by the U.S. for nuclear testing. Oh, look at that! I hope she stretched first, because you could pull a hammy on that one. The indigenous people of the area relocated during the testing, which eventually rendered the area uninhabitable due to residual radiation. Barker finds it unjust that SpongeBob and his pals have allowed to occupy the area when the non-fictional indigenous people there do not have the option to return to their homeland. God damn it! Keep in mind that she's referring to a children's cartoon. The name Bikini Bottom was obviously chosen for laughs, but Barker stretches that somehow to make it a serious case of cultural appropriation of indigenous people who not who no longer live on an island chain which also has Bikini in the name. Although the U.S. government removed the people of Bikini from the atoll above the surface, this does not give license to SpongeBob or anything else, fiction, fictitious or otherwise, 
to occupy Bikini, she insists. SpongeBob's presence on Bikini Bottom continues the violence and racist expulsion of indigenous people from their lands, and in this case, their cosmos, that enables U.S. hegemonic power to extend their military and colonial interests into the post-war area. Woohoo! Has Professor Barker ever learned to actually relax and not politicize every single thing? No, she's a progressive, she can't. Barker's not only disturbed by the Hawaiian shirts and the steel guitar music on the show, but even by the very name of Bob. The name Bob represents the everyday man, a common American male, much like Joe, Barker observes, concluding that our gaze into the world of Bikini Bottom, as well as the surface of Bikini, is thus filtered through the activities of men. So not only is it racist, it's sexist. Boom, boom, boom. You win the dumbest shit I've ever in my life. Fuck me. You guys can't stop ruining everything. Just everything. As displayed by this soundbite of a seven-year-old girl getting cuffed and hauled off for making a finger gun. What? Are you a fucking Excuse me? You can speak to me more respectfully. <laughs> I went to fucking jail because of you, so I don't give a fuck. I didn't do anything. I had nothing to do with the you have jail. Yeah, why you went to jail. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, can I help you with anything today? Really? It was in Kansas. Yeah. Literally coughed a finger gun. Dana Loesch, excellent job, Bloomberg Lobby. Let's turn all children into felons whenever they mouth off or make finger guns a universal policy. The lack of nuance is the best approach. It will keep the country safe for the repeat offenders driving the majority of gun crimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the most heinous thing I've ever heard. So, as I stated earlier, I always wanted to make a gay shit bumper. So, uh, I just literally searched on Google. I'm surprised. Gay shit soundbite. And it came up. So, we have a bumper. And we also have a soundbite from Kaiser Permanente ad. says, too bad to those who say drag queen story hour is too much. Hey, hey, hey. Wow. Little pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. I thought I was straight for a really long time because of the Jonas. It's kind of wild. Like 20 years ago, I was in this like difficult, struggling with my own identity, and now living such a great. My name is Ellen. And I. My name is Viet Tran. I identify as Vietnamese immigrants. I identify as drumming and gender fluid. And I came out as bi when I was 15 years old. And when I was 18, sexual. When I first came out to my mom, she did not know what that meant. And she said, What really? 
made me feel nice. It took a lot of time and energy to that meant. Now she's one of my best allies. As a bank, it's really hard to understand because it kind of feels at times that these are two entities and they can't be intertwined. You know, they belong together. You can be black and you can be black and you can be trans. You can be black and you can be black and be whoever, whatever you. And honestly, it's really only in the last that I have gotten more comfortable with being really, really bisexual. National Coming Out Day for me is like on my coming out experience. We create the kind of world in which to be afraid to be who they are. When I first came out, I immediately regretted it. I was like, that was an idea. But then, like, as time went on, I was like, so rad and like the best. <laughs> like, I'm bisexual. I love being queer. I think it's my best quality. I think for me to be out and open and queer, there oftentimes aren't really any words. But often myself and being really happy with the person that I, the person that I am becoming and the person that I will be. I think it's really important for people to know that you don't out to everyone in your life. You can just be out to who you trust. You can just be out to yourself. Coming out can be to yourself and not just to other people. Coming out is a journey every day of our lives. Every coming out unique and must be navigated in the way most of you. You are in the driver's seat about where, when, and with whom you choose. And we recognize that not everyone is out or live openly. But no, this National Coming Out Day and every, and every day we see you. We support. We are here for you. We are here for you. That is just amazing. He's called Little Pump. Gay shit fan-made lyric video. It's on YouTube. It's under Taking Nonsense channel. And I literally just put up gay shit soundbite. And it was the first one. So, boom, I got it, man. I have a bumper for our gay shit segment. And I'm feeling pretty good about myself. But to the soundbite. For decades, the left has successfully promoted the increased sexualization of children by portraying opponents as somehow mean or intolerant. In this latest volley, those who see problems with sexualized man dressed as a woman reading to children are once again criticized just disliking people who are different or too much. A drag queen reading to children is the same as an elderly woman who dresses her best or male healthcare worker showing a softer side in a new commercial by health insurance provider Kaiser Permanente. They promoted Drag String Queen Story Hour in its recent healthcare ad titled, To Them We Say. The ad begins with a voice over announcing, and we heard it, and they're basically just saying, you know what, uh, fuck you, fuck you. To Them We Say from National Healthcare, Titan, Kaiser Permanente, the brand's message of Thrive is demonstrated through a series of vignettes that feature individuals unapologetically defying unfortunate societal perception. It's everywhere now. NBC drama, age definitions are meaningless, just like gender. And it's Bluff City Wall law that I quit taping because I couldn't do it anymore. It's all PC shit. Netflix cartoon apologizes for irresponsible, harmful explanation of pansexuality, a subject kids should not know about. When Netflix posted a video clip of a cartoon child explaining pansexuality, probably the last thing they expected was to be attacked by the super-woke Twitter scolds. And yet, that's exactly what happened, to the point of big-mouth craters being forced to apologize to trans, pan, and bi communities for the scene being problematic and exclusionary. On Saturday, Netflix tweeted a clip from Season 3 of their raunchy animated comedy, Big Mouth, which had been released the day before. In the video, new girl Allie introduced herself to her new middle school class as pansexual, proceeding to explain what it means. 
Bisexuality is so binary, L.A. tells the class. Being pansexual means my sexual preference isn't limited, limited by gender identity. It's like some of you boring, borings liking tacos and some of you liking burritos. And if you're bisexual, you like taco and burrito. But I'm saying I like tacos and burritos, and I could be into a taco that was born a burrito, or a burrito that's transitioning into a taco, comprende, and honey, anything else on the fucking menu. But people got pissed off, because as we, you know, go back to a really old episode where I went into a chat room for these moon bats. They don't even know what the fuck they want to say they are. They just fucking come up with shit all the time. It's just a goddamn mess. Psychologist. Children should undergo irreversible gender transition surgery without parental consent. A top psychology group representing 24,000 psychologists in Australia claimed children should neither have to get parental consent nor undergo mandatory counseling to undergo irreversible gender transition surgeries. The Australian Psychology Society, according to a report from Australia, say the disapproval of both parents should not inhibit a child under 16 from consenting to a procedure. This is not surprising, considering over and over and over, they're also for kids should be able to have abortions and not even talk to a single adult. So Planned Parenthood can make some more money and then donate it to Democrats. Hmm. Julian Castro campaign, of course he supports abortion rights for men. I'm not reading anymore. There was a big thing. He had to kowtow, blah, blah, blah. Abajanu Ekoche. A couple podcasts ago, probably four or five, I can't remember, we covered an abortionist, abortionist who uh, literally had body parts all over his house. Do you remember that? Well, remember the abortionist who stashed the bodies of 2,246 aborted babies at his home? Remember this? I do. More bodies of babies have been found in the trunk of his Mercedes Benz. This trunk filled with tiny dead bodies at the end of a journey called A Woman's Right to Choose. From Christian Monitor, additional aborted babies remains were found Wednesday at a property rented by the late abortionist Ulrich Koffler. The Will County Sheriff's Office didn't release the exact number of bodies, bodies recovered, but said they believe there are less than a hundred. The remains recovered were preserved, packaged, and marked similarly to the previous 2,246 fetal remains discovered at his residence on September 12th. All the items and information observed by detectives and crime scene investigators today coincide with the previously known information that fetal remains were from the time period of 2000 to 2002 when Coffer was performing abortions in the state of Indiana and then lost his license for being a Fucking evil, evil piece of shit. Yeah. How fucking sick do you have to be? How fucking sick do you have to be? To be rolling around with... I mean, they have to be decomposing. These are 17-year-old little baby limbs. But we're evil for saying, Hey, man, this abortion thing's gone too far. Hmm. People Magazine thinks only liberal women change the world. They go through bashing conservatives, and of course the cover picture is Greta Thunberg. Which, I'm only doing one Greta Thunberg article, 
because it's about race. And I saved my climate shit for next podcast because I'm climated the fuck out. And that article is this. Supporting Greta Thunberg, now evidence of white privilege and racism. <laughs> you are never woke. In the woke game, there's always a catch, man. It's like playing Calvin Ball from Calvin and Hobbes. A group of minority rights activists are challenging the anti-climate change movement's unquestioning embrace of a 16-year-old Greta Thunberg, who is the successor to Jesus Christ, so sayeth the Swedish church, and calling support for Thunberg over woker, eco-spokesperson racism and evidence of white supremacy. New Zealand news outlet reports that activists who push for greater rights for indigenous people, some of the very same activists who are at the forefront of the global anti-climate change movement, are concerned that putting a young white teenager at the helm of the movement that largely affects the third world sends the wrong message, especially since indigenous people have been pressing the same message for decades. The activists took to social media to express their distaste. Y'all need to ask yourself why you find it so much easier to hear from white people, regardless of age, when it comes to the violence they have caused around the world. Our global climate is in crisis. We need everyone to care about this and take action. With that said, it's high time that the very people who have caused such problems stop getting praised and recognized for finally doing the right thing. It's a symptom of global white supremacy that certain people are heard and given a platform, certain people have access to the resources to be the heroes that the world will pay attention to. Greta should have grabbed some children from Flint or New Jersey and took them to the UN. They are impacted right now by environmental terrorism caused by racism, white supremacy, and racialized governance. Greta at the UN was epitome of white privilege, white power. Save white kids only. Yeah. That's fucking fantastic. To other racist shit, Tlaib defends her demand to Detroit police to only hire black individuals. My comments weren't racist. Rashida Tlaib defended herself. I'm, I'm doing a racist section now, so I just pushed her back here. Defended herself against a slew of racist accusations after she urged the Detroit Police Department to only hire black people. I'm going to call out every injustice I see. It's probably what makes most people uncomfortable when I speak truth to power, Tlaib wrote. My comments weren't racist, out of order, or inappropriate. It is inappropriate to implement a broken, flawed, and racist technology that doesn't recognize black and brown faces in a city that's over 80% black. I'm not going to mince words when my residents are threatened. The Detroit News should not take Detroit Police Chief Craig's bait and help him to distract from the fact that the broken technology is being used to lock up black and brown people in Detroit. While the continual fascination with my every word is flattering, I will not get back it will not get me to back away from the truth. Just stating that itself is racist. You said it the other way. Well, where I live is majority white, so we should only have white cops. Because, you know, black cops wouldn't know how to talk to white people. Would that ever fly? Ever? No. Then in our ever-growing fucking wokeness and everybody wants to be a group on the left, we talked about MAP, minor attracted people that they want to make part of the LGBT cabal. This one takes the fucking cake. Now remember, AIDS is a gay thing. Majority of people getting AIDS are gay. It's not through transfusions anymore. It is you through drug use, but the majority is gay men. And remember, we talked about that whole fucking um, I'm taking blot for prep shit where they're doing a pill and it actually turned into more people are getting AIDS now in the gay community. But this shit from Vox is just 
I don't even have words to describe how crazy this is. We come a long way in the fight against AIDS, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still a lot of opportunities for terrible AIDS takes. Vox found one. 26 states impose criminal penalties for knowingly exposing someone to HIV, but these laws make people with the virus vulnerable to stigma and abuse. Stigma and abuse. So you're saying a person with AIDS should go out and have sex with whoever the fuck they are and they shouldn't be held accountable that they gave somebody a fucking death sentence. Really? That's how woke you are? Really? In other news, California banned fur. Yeah, you can't buy fur in California. I got a couple other California ship. I'm gonna save it for next podcast. Don't worry, Matt and Oregon. I got I got the crazy ban they're doing on guns. I want to put it up front next time. Mattel unveils career of the year doll, Judge Barbie. And because they're getting slammed by social warriors, they did this and they're doing a GoFundMe to finance Judge Barbie. So I'm taking it sales aren't doing well. To our crazy crime as we close this bad boy out. Woman busted wearing a bow-shaped bag of meth in her hair and promptly said, that's not my bow. Farmer kept refusing to let him have sex with her animals, so he sought revenge, Authority said. I just wanted to read the title. From 83 to 13, that was the second largest temperature change ever in Denver. Big sis in Denver. Oh, God, I feel for you, sis. I mean, they've had a lot of snow and craziness. We had the same thing here. I literally was sitting watching... Um, it was Friday night. The temperature was 80 degrees. And by the time I went to bed, it was 40. And by the time I woke up, it was 35. So, interesting weather across the board. To our light affair, I'm going to play a soundbite of my duckies. Big win this weekend. And then they have a huge game coming up in Washington. They can beat Washington. All they have is Arizona State on the, on the ledger that should get through them. But they finally worked out their offensive woes. So, let's listen to a soundbite of my mighty duckies beating up on Colorado. Enjoy. Back to throw Herbert on third goal from the sets up into the pocket. Oh, got a wide open. Freeland. I mean, there's nobody near him. Lost him. Snap. Straight front pressure comes. Steps up. Getting a hit. Go down. Back at the 12-yard line. Herbert on first down, handed off, going left, up the middle. Here goes Burdell across the 35, and almost. Running back, going to get the ball, going left, stings into the end zone, and all. Motion to the right, Montez back to throw. Just going to try to run away from it, not going to be able to throw to the end zone. Take the end. Oh, now he's, that is exception. And here's the swoop going left. Gives him a touchdown. That's Jarrett. Coming from the right, all the way to his left. And back to throw Mont, looking right, looking middle. Now we'll toss it, knocked into the air, and picked, intercepted. The old tip drill, and Bryson Young. And Herbert with the ball back to throw. Pressure comes. Back and so touchdown. Jaron Red. Motion to the right. Herbert, do a rest. And comes back in. And back to throw the ball again. Montaigne. Intercepted. It's picked. McKinley at the 30, got blockers, 10, 5, outside the 10-yard line. 50 yards on that return. Here's a gift. Up the middle. Touchdown. TD's middle name, Cyrus Habikio. Herbert, turn, right up the middle. Boom, almost, and he's for down at the 50. Foot race, 30. 
At the 14-yard line. Gunner, that pistol snap gives the Linkio. No doubt, Linkio. Habibi, high score, touchdown. I had a This Is America for today. It was ABC urging foreign leaders to get, to like say Trump was guilty of something and they, they couldn't do it. But um, I won't play it. Another WAPO, uh, those evil Trump violent supporting yeah, they're going to be violent if we impeach them. You know, it's a common thing. But I will do the lyrics from Mayans MC. I like the show. I originally started watching it because of um, the head gang leader. He was on the unit. I really like his acting. He was in SEAL Team, then got blew up uh, and died. So, you know, I really wanted to support him. But I've heard the lyrics, and I never really paid attention. Then one day I decided to search, you know, who sings this? And I think it sums up the current state of what people think America is and what it should be. And this is a Mexican ban. So this is their theory of, you know, basically it's it aligns with the left that they're just entitled to be here and go fuck you. So the lyrics are, Mother of Exiles, a torch of hope, and the toss of the tempest threw up Madison's rope, but the brazen giant with libs astride blocked the golden door to the U.S. of lies, screaming, fuck your huddled masses, scrub our floors, cut our grasses, and it's I'm a wolf, a wild cur, cut from the pack with blood on my fur, and every howl marks a debt, because a beaten dog never forgets. And that's pretty much all you hear, but then there's more. Broke our brown backs chasing Mr. White's dream. That Bill of Rights was just a pyramid scheme. We clawed to the middle and prayed for the end. Don't let our children grow up to be them. Fuck your pale seniority. Go build your wall. We own the majority. Yeah, that's the lyrics. They're just entitled to be here. Yet if I go over and set up a casa... In Mexico, I'm going to fucking jail. Yeah. The next one was some feminist stuff from Mallory Hagan. Dear every man in America, I'm sitting at my bar by myself because I want to. Please be self-aware enough to know when we are simply not interested in carrying out a conversation. Sincerely, all women. Whoa. Ha ha. So many triggered-ass men. I didn't say don't talk to people. I said have some self-awareness. Half y'all are even self-aware enough to know... You're the problem. Followed by, my boyfriend, boyfriend carries tampons and panty liners on him in case any woman he need, he, he need, meets around him needs one. I think that is one of the most mature and wholesome things I've ever heard a man doing, just to look out for the women around him and make them comfortable. I think it's creepy as fucking shit. Sorry. I thought my phone was on mute. I guess it was not on mute. But that's just that's just fucking creepy. Creepy. Carrying tampons is creepy. And lastly, Col- goodbye Columbus. More states jettison the day paying homage to the explorer. And there's just a list of liberal jackasses getting rid of Columbus Day because somehow it's evil now. Okay. Sounds good. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. FOP 
Podcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember, check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast is going to shoot for the 18th of October, Year of Our Lord, 2019. A Friday one, since I could not get the Sunday one off because I was having too much fun with my wife. Make sure you stay warm. For those in the deep freeze right now, winter's upon us. Trees are turning. It is awesome. It's my favorite time of the year. I'm drinking coffee by the gallon and enjoying, finally, some fall weather in the south, even though we'll be in the 60s most day. At least they'll get down close to 40, so you have a little chill and you have to wear a hoodie. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yang yeah, yeah, and tune back in for Friday for the next exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.